Hello and welcome to episode 205 of the Random Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And you know, sometimes I start our episodes by saying how we've got a big show, or there's a lot to discuss. And it really delivers. Exactly. And I'm always like, go use the timestamps. You'll need the timestamps. There's so much news. And, um... Well, it's been somewhat true. You, you could always use the timestamps. It's never been this true. Like, this is the big one. This right here, this is our full-on E3 blowout. We're calling it the E3 2019 extravaganza, and for good reason. We have hands-on impressions of well over a dozen games, uh, ranging from biggies like Luigi's Mansion 3 and Link's Awakening and Pokemon Sword and Shield to a bunch of third-party titles and indie titles. Um, we have all sorts of new announcements to weigh in on, and we have the lovely surprises of Bandra Kazooie and Smash. The Breath of the Wild sequel. Um, so really, let me say it with feeling. Go use those timestamps at randtown.com on episode uh, 205. If you're on YouTube, look under the video. We got the timestamps there too because there is a lot here. Um, yeah, but before we dive into any specifics, let's talk about the show itself. Because like, was it just me or was this year's E3 kind of weird? It was weird, wasn't it? Um, please elaborate, Jason. I mean, like I went, I, I don't know. I wouldn't say it was like, empty per se but it was more chill i guess like i don't i mean like this is my 53 this was your what second e3 i think i guess second one being there yes yeah and like actually inside yeah and i don't i don't remember i don't remember it ever feeling quite so like relaxed i mean especially as much as it did on thursday which is traditionally the busy day because that's when all the public badges all the gamer badges are allowed to be there all day so usually it's you know more crowded on that day if anything um, I mean, none of this is to say there wasn't, like, the typical E3 things going on. Like, a lot of the booths were really elaborate and cool, like, especially Nintendo's. I feel like... But... It, I don't know. Yeah, I, it's maybe because we weren't really in the same spot, or we weren't together all day on all three days. I yeah. feel like, to me, the amount of people just felt the same. It felt the same crowded. It was, no, it was as crowded. I mean, the ESA I mean, says well, there were 66,000 well, people in attendance. Well, well, or not ESA, well, E3 people. I don't know. I mean, to me, like... It just was o- like, overall, like the energy felt the same. It oh, was like, like to me, like everything just felt the same as last year, for better or worse. And this, I guess, in my case, it was kind of for worse. But mm-hmm. um, I mean, the only like main glaring thing was the fact that just Sony wasn't there. Which yeah, like it was just a different vibe. Which at first kind of felt like oh, man, it's kind of weird not seeing Sony in front of Nintendo. But then I don't know. I think after like the first day, it kind of felt like well. It's not like I really played anything at Sony's last year except for right. like some VR thing. And then um, before I knew it, like, I had forgotten that Sony wasn't even there, especially because right. I still saw and demoed like, a few games on PS4. Like, there were still plenty of PS4s around. Oh, so yeah. Still... P- Sony was present. They just weren't present. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know if that's why. Like, it kind of still felt like Sony didn't really miss Yeah, and I, I do want to clarify, like, a, there was a lot of cool stuff to see. There was a lot of cool booths. We have a 93 photo gallery of E3 um, that we put up on this past Monday called E3 2019 Photos that you can go check out. We'll link to on the blog post or it's just on Ramtown's homepage. And, like, there is a lot of cool stuff. And there was, like, obviously a lot of big games and a lot of big lines. I mean, like, Final Fantasy Center Remake, Borderlands 3, those spring to mind as games that had, like, huge lines. Link's Awakening at one point, the line was five hours long, which is particularly crazy because, like, Nintendo didn't seem to expect the game to be that big of a deal. I mean, it was the only... It was the only first-party game that didn't have a warp pipe pass, and its line was somehow longer. Like they originally bundled it with all the other games in the booth. Like it was like you could stand in line for Luigi, stand in line for Pokemon, or stand in line for Zelda plus everything else. And by day two, they had to split off Zelda to its own line because it was like just chaos in the everything else section. They had to have it weave a different way around. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, not even everyone got to play it. There was that guy. Yeah. That poor guy. <laughs> when I got to the exhibition hall, I don't remember what day it was. I think it was, it was day the last three. day. Yeah, yeah it was day Thursday. Three. That was the whole problem. I yeah. got there like around, let's see. I think I got there like around 1130. It was like 1130 ish. And as soon as I got there, like the, line, the lines were already capped for the day. And like a convention experience usually tells you that that is never true. Like, um, like 90% of the time, Actually, I would say 99% of the time because... For the day translates to about 90 minutes from now. You can come back. Yeah, sure. like, like they're always yeah. going to let someone in. And I think by now, like if you total like just how many individual conventions you've been to, I, this one I feel like it's maybe been like over 100 days of conventions. Like, you just oh, count, God, that's scary. How many hours of our lives have we wasted just standing in line? Because, I mean, just between Comic-Con and... Well, I guess you don't do Anime Expo. I but, used to. I did for like four years. But that's like... I was four, in line for three and a half five, hours seven, to get a badge to get in. That's like seven days plus the three from... Um, designer. I mean, we could either total like ten days from one to one. We are year. wasting our lives. Anyway, point is, <laughs> like you said, like most of the time they do let people in. So yeah. because it was that early and the convention and the exhibition hall, or I guess the convention closed at six, I figured, well, I'll round around. I'll go around like in thirty minutes, see if, at the very least, if they kept true to their word. And sure enough, that guy that was at the end of the line, he had a scarf, which kind of made it easy to remember. Oh, that's how you recognized him. Yeah, he had like a scarfing glasses. Well, whatever. And then he... So he was zero? Zero was standing in line? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, he was just in line. Same person. I go do some other stuff. Come back like a few hours later. Still the same person. And then by the time like I'm done with like a Smash Bros. tournament that ended like around five-ish, um, I went back and it was still the same person. At that point, I was like, wow, I got a really hand to Nintendo. They actually kept true to their word. Like I'm not even like bothered or anything i only wanted to at keep... least they like the, they told people you're not gonna get play yeah so go away and i even saw like a change at one point like oh okay they're changing person that's holding the sign of end of the line like still... the other person is probably gonna like let some people in and sure yep. enough like no they kept yep. it going and unfortunately like the worst thing you, one of the worst things you could see at a convention jason and i saw they were closing up nintendo it was crazy. and they literally told like maybe about four or five people in front of that guy that like all right sorry guys none of you can play the game because here's the thing about convention for those who haven't been it's not up to Nintendo to stay to keep it running late. Like during normal days of convention, like if it was day two, they could be like, "Yeah, we'll keep people here like thirty, sixty minutes longer." They've invited, you know, private folk. Like they've done things with streamers where they'll bring them in after hours to try all the games in the empty booth. Like that's normal. But on day three, like when that six o'clock hits, it's teardown time. It's when all the contractors are showing up. It's when all the carpenters are showing. You know, the carpentry people are showing up. There is no wiggle room. So unfortunately for this dude and the four other guys, they didn't get to play after waiting seven hours. And the look on his face yeah, he was like he was it was like he was mad, he was sad, he was like questioning his existence. And I mean, it was nice that they gave him the little link keychain. Like those link keychains are obviously probably the coolest swag Nintendo's done in years. They're little tiny chibi links, straight out of Link's Awakening. I wish we could have gotten some extras giveaway on the podcast. Like they're super cool. But yeah, like that's not that's a, comp- a compilation prize of sorts, but that's not not compilation compensation prize of sorts. But it's uh, not nowhere near the same as you know playing the game. And even then, seven hours for a fifteen minute demo that's that's a lot of commitment right there. More than I would have done. I mean, but, yeah, I close. didn't we that. once like wait like almost five hours just to play like a minute of Smash Brothers at Best Buy? It was definitely- yes, but no. So, yeah, but they were like walking the line with 3DSs, and there's like, yeah, we did. Okay, we're hor- we're horribly bad at 
at yeah, I mean, not caving to lines as well. Yeah, it depends on the game. Like, I would not have waited that long. It, like, as soon as they told me it was capped for the day, even if it wasn't, yeah. like, that means it's at least a five-hour wait. Well, I mean, we'll get to when we talk but, about the games, but you know, Link's Awakening, you go in knowing exactly what it is because it's literally what it says on the box. You can play it on Game Boy. It's just prettier. So mm-hmm. it, that's a weird one. Like, if it was a totally revolutionary game, like, I waited, like, three and a half hours for Breath of the Wild. I thought that was worth it. It was something totally different at the time. It was really... You know, and you go through that whole crazy Hyrule you walk through to get to it inside the booth. And it was like an experience. But, like, this, not so much. Um, Like, that's the kind of thing about the C3 in general to me is, like, there's a lot of cool experiences, but it wasn't, like, mind-blowing stuff. And I think you're on, you're, you're kind of right that part of it initially is, like, where's Sony? Like, there was that day one, where where are they? What's going on? Because, like, if you walked where Sony was, it was a weird hodgepodge of stuff. Like, there's some kind of cool stuff. There's something called the Unreal Garden, which is like this shared augmented reality thing where you all wear HoloLenses and you walk around and you're in a shared communal space. So if you draw something in the sky with your finger, which you could do in one part of it, other people will see it in the 3D space and can walk around and interact with it too. So that was kind of neat. And that was part of booth. But then other parts are like, there's literally a bar and some couches just in the middle of where Sony was. And it's like, oh, this is different. And then, you know, Microsoft wasn't even on the show floor. They now do all their stuff in the Microsoft Theater across the street. And the newly christened Xbox Plaza, which is LA Live, um, was home to the Mixer Dome. So they were all outside. So that kind of also had that weird, like, separation. But I think, like, to me, when I was saying it felt different, is to, like, kind of to the point where the games didn't have, like, the same oomph as, say, Breath of the Wild or Odyssey or even Smash Bros. Is that we're kind of at the tail end of, like, a console generation. And it sort of showed. Like, not so much for Nintendo, mind you. Like, they're firing on all cylinders. It's Switch's third year. We'll talk about them in great detail. They felt like they were doing a typical E3. But, like, if you look at PlayStation, if you look at Xbox, you can tell a lot of publishers, at least in my opinion, were kind of holding back. Like, we had some big games. You know, I mentioned Final Fantasy. There's obviously Cyberpunk, uh, Watch Dogs Legion, Borderlands 3. But none are really, like, groundbreaking or, like, something you haven't seen before. They're just riffs on stuff we know, kind of. And that, you know, they seem cool. Like, I like the Watch Dogs Legions. Like, you could play any NPC now. Like, that's a neat idea. But it's, it's basically what they do with Watch Dogs before, but now they've kind of expanded out what you can do, which it's cool. Don't get me wrong. But I did feel like a lot of publishers were saving the crazy for next year for, like, PS5 and Xbox, or uh, Project Scarlet, as they're now calling it. And that, to me, is kind of what made the vibe feel a little different. Like, there was no single game, even in Nintendo's booth, if you think about it, there was no single, this is the game. Like, Final Fantasy probably came close in some ways. Cyberpunk definitely had the hype, thanks to Keanu. But, like, there wasn't a runaway game of the show in the way that it has been in the past. Like, if you look at the booths, you know, the last day they put the awards from every publication. And, like, all these games all had them from different places. Like, it wasn't, like, a definitive, this is the game of E3. And I think that, you know, kind of made the whole show feel kind of like, oh, yeah, everything's just kind of cool, neat, that sort of thing. But there was cool stuff to happen. I mean, like, it was a fun show. Don't get me wrong. I love going to... Um, like, what was your highlight, if you had to pick something? Um, I mean... I feel like I know easy. your answer. I mean, it's just, just the Smash Bros. tournament. Yeah, I figured... Funny, like, the, the most exciting thing I thought, for me, at the convention show floor was, like, a game that... That you played a year ago on the same floor in the same hall. Yep. Yep. It was fun, just playing friendlies, playing, like, at a tournament that was already full, but they never made it clear what the registration was, so I just kind of asked and... You know, I mean, the squeaky wheel gets the oil, so they say, and they found it. Who says it. that exactly? I don't know. It's a thing. <laughs> Why right? did my voice go so high? Is a better question. It's a thing I've heard before. Oh, can't sure. really say from where. Well, look it's, at the if you look at the um, our audio tracking, it spiked so high when I went high pitch. Anyway, sorry. 
Yeah, and um, they managed to squeeze me into a spot, and before I knew it, I was in grand finals. Like literally before I knew on it. a live I, stream. I, with I was an audience. I was maybe halfway through the grand finals before I knew it was the grand finals. Yeah, you were supposed to text me. So you you had your Luigi's Mansion demo appointment at that time. So you gave it to me, the warp pipe pass, and I went and did it and got you the swag, which was a flashlight, for those who are wondering. And you're supposed to text me like, oh, yeah, I'll let you know when I get to grand final. And then like, you know, I haven't heard from you for a while, and you didn't say you lost, so maybe I'll just wander over. And you're like in the middle of the grand final. I felt very slighted. So, yeah, let's make this all about me, your tournament. Anyway, no, so how did, how did it end up going? No, just – very fun, typical smashness. The first couple rounds against random people, I guess, ended up kind of destroying them. Like it wasn't until like the last game where it was like really close. Right. Like until then, they were all kind of like, like, oh, sorry about that, sorry about that. And then finally, was sorry like, about that. <laughs> I, yeah. I sincerely apologize for beating you. Yeah, it's like, like, oh, sorry if you were just trying to have fun, but I can't. I came to win, but I didn't. <laughs> but it was you got it, it dude was, that um, last match. I mean. Though. So we'll, we'll – not to keep plugging the blog post for this episode, but we will link to a live stream timestamp on the live stream so you guys can watch how we did because it was crazy that last match. You were literally neck and neck to point that you died simultaneously at within two percents of each other for the second stock. Like it's it's insane. You guys have to watch it. It's, yeah. it's like one of the craziest match matches Beyond I've ever that, seen. Beyond that though, like, I don't know. I can't remember much else that – but I mean, you only need consider. one. I know, yeah. yeah, so that works. I mean, like, mine's going to be even more weird than, like, you're like, oh, I don't remember much else. Mine's going to be even more cheesy and, like, out there than yours. Like, this is a variant of what I say every time, but, like, honestly, my highlight is still just, like, I love being in the element of E3, even if the vibe's slightly different. Like, just being smack in the middle of the video game industry is just, like, you know, a different facet of that industry everywhere I turn. It's just, like, really cool, like, having run into Charles Martinet or demoing luigi's mansion 3 and there's like nintendo's treehouse live camera crew filming over my shoulder with like luigi doing some little like a costume luigi creeping around with a flashlight i'm like oh like when i play my games i don't have nintendo's production team over my shoulder trying to distract me like it was it was cool or like even things like twitter gaming uh twitter's official gaming account did a tweet up a meetup huh hashtag tweet up e3 did a, a twitter meetup and yeah that was just like a random thing that you know you don't get a chance where Twitter's just like, yeah, we bought a whole bowling alley. Go nuts! And here we have a person doing caricatures of your face for your profile, and like, here's a hat that you have embroidered your Twitter handle on the back, like stuff like that. It's just like, it's cool how that all like happening at once, and it just feels like it feels like I'm home in a weird way, like because you don't normally get that sort of video game environment, you know, and like. I think even things like the Xbox press conference, like you were kind enough to you managed to get in through Xbox Fan Fest. You gave me the pass. I went. And, like, I don't particularly care that much about Xbox. Like, cool. Scarlet sounds interesting. But, you know, it's still really cool to be there. Like, I really enjoy being in the heart of all of it. All the announcements. Seeing that they brought in such a crazy sound system. Like, the seats were, like, shaking. Having Keanu Reeves popped out, pop out and everyone, like, lose their minds. Like, it was cool. It was really cool. Uh, it's just fun to, like, nerd out with other gamers regardless of what platform we play. And that's what, that's what I liked about E3. But... Beyond just like personal highlights, I think um, I think Nintendo in general just put on a great showing this year. Like, say what you will about individual games, and like, trust me, we're gonna have plenty to say. But fact is, like, Nintendo did something right because they dominated the E3 conversation this year. Like, according to Twitter, um, they had the single most tweeted about event of E3 2019, the Nintendo Direct, on Tuesday morning, and it even surpassed like things you would think would blow up like Keanu Reeves that was a big moment I know I keep referencing it because it was like that big of a thing when it happened and he was still behind Nintendo Final Fantasy was behind Nintendo 
Cyberpunk was behind, like Beyond Keanu was behind Nintendo. Like Nintendo just like is the single busiest period of conversation during E3. Is the only com- company with multiple games in the list of most talked about games of E3, thanks to Zelda, Animal Crossing, Pokemon. Like they just killed it. In ju- like they just know the formula, they get it, and it, it feels it almost felt like it was too much at once, in my opinion. Like we went from barely a game a month to in the next five to six weeks getting five Nintendo releases: Kings of Hyrule, Dragon Quest Builders Two, which Nintendo's publishing. Mario Maker 2, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, Fire Emblem 3 Houses. And we knew those were coming, most of those, and that's fine. But what's crazy is in the Direct, we learned they're now doing that again at the end of August with Astral Chain, which looks awesome, by the way. And then two weeks after that, on September 13th, we're getting Damon X Machina. Then we're getting Link's Awakening on September 20th. Then we're getting Dragon Quest XI-S on uh, the 27th of September. Like, it's just like, I don't know what Nintendo's doing, but just all these little, like, buckets of games. Like, the fact that Nintendo's able to overstuff these two stretches of mere weeks with as many games and still have so many games to show at the show just shows how strong of a presentation and how strong of a lineup they actually have. Even if there's no one game that was like the game, there's so many smaller games. And, you know, I didn't even mention any third-party ones in that list or like other biggies like Luigi Mansion 3 or Pokemon. I mean, there were in all 39 games crammed into a 40-minute direct. That's literally a game per minute. It's, well, a little shy of that but it's it's still it's it's nuts and i feel like i just feel like nintendo not to go on a whole rant here but i just feel like nintendo's really mastered the art of putting on a good e3 like i don't know what, what your sense of it was angel but like to me they get that this is a consumer first event more for fans and for hype building than anything else they get that it's about catering to the diehards and caring to people who like want to follow this, not trying to convince retailers, not trying to convince media. You know, it's why they do stuff like turn their booth into a theme park every year. I was reading this interview in Venture Beat with um, Nintendo's senior director of corporate communications, or Nintendo of America's, I should say, uh, Charlie Sabetta, uh, I think is how you say his last name. And he was saying that like the whole point of making the booth so immersive, of doing like the high roll or the new donk or whatever, is they know like gamers will basically be suckered into it like if you're a buyer if you're an analyst if you're press you don't need something that flashy to get a game's point across but if you're trying to sell it to the public and build hype yeah you want to put people in the game as best as you can you want to make it you know as impactful as possible so you don't just want to demo luigi's mansion 3 you want to do it with holograms of ghosts flowing around the person because it's just that much more of a moment that'll be memorable and then they'll be excited for the game so you know they, they kind of master that whole idea i feel like and and even within the direct like they learn to tweak stuff i mean they focused back in the day on one game a little too much like i think we could agree the smash direct last year was a little bit info overload yeah and then like you know two three years ago with breath of the wild is the only game and then they kind of did like a knee jerk and went the other way and they started doing that thing where they only show logos which i know you personally hate like metroid prime 4 where it's just like hey we're making this game and it's like that's cool and then the game gets canceled and gets restarted and now here we are last week retro studios is tweeting they need an art director for the game that was announced two years ago and was rebooted back in what march so obviously that's not the right approach but this year i feel like they hit the sweet spot they focus on stuff that's actually not about to release so there's no big mario maker 2 or fire emblem segments they trickled in a healthy number of uh of uh, like unexpected reveals you know no more heroes 3 that panzer dragoon reboot that really came out of nowhere um, even stuff like the new contra smaller scale but still hitting the nostalgia notes um, but then there's like that five minute stretch at the end where we had Animal Crossing and we had Banjo Kazooie and Smash and then the real surprise of Breath of the Wild. It was, it was like the perfect mic drop, and it you know it ended with what fans wanted. It threw in a surprise, which 
was already faked out at the start of the direct because like here's your smash characters dragon quest just kidding here's your other smash characters banjo and then they did another like almost apple style one more thing with zelda it was they knew exactly how to build hype it was yeah i, I they just put hype they put hype on top of hype they put hype on top of hype on top of hype it's really well done i thought so yeah so that's my little soapbox but i mean which of those three like that last five minutes of the direct was like Nintendo rarely fires on that many cylinders. Which of those surprises were you most excited about? If you had to pick between like Animal Crossing, Smash, the Smash uh, characters, Zelda, I would guess Smash, knowing you. Surprisingly, it was Animal Crossing. Was it? Yeah, the game and looked breathtaking. It looked like it just hit all the right notes. It oh, was, did it? it? Was, it was... Would you like to go on about that? Um, <laughs> the fact that you're starting from pretty much nothing it's almost i don't know it, it kind of gave me like a minecraft kind of vibe mm. like where you literally just go from you literally no- craft stuff in it yeah like you just go from nothing where i mean i guess there'll be I, I guess you're supposed to achieve a reward or some sort of feeling of extra gratification for knowing that you built everything yeah but it almost feels like too much i i do think it's interesting how nintendo finally was like hey we're gonna shake up animal crossing now granted it's like Kind of barely, but also kind of significantly. If you think about it in the like context of Animal Crossing, like going to I mean, like, it's the next step. Yeah, like the crafting, the idea that you know you have eight people visiting your town, they could all craft things together. Like that's kind of interesting. The fact that um, you're literally starting with nothing, you put furniture anywhere because it doesn't matter. It's just a wild like island you're on, and then slowly you recruit people. You even have to recruit Isabel apparently. Like it's really starting at nothing. Gotcha style. Uh, I God, I hope not. No, probably not. Or like even there's even things like like the to your point about like it seems more, um, like there's just more stuff going on. Like there's that whole new Nook Mile mechanic, which basically like in you know in past games everything you do gets you bells or gets you items that you can turn into bells. In this one, they're adding a whole new point system inspired by frequent flyer miles called Nook Miles, and the idea is even if you're pulling weeds or planting flowers or fish, whatever you're doing, you earn credit, and those credits let you do things in the game. So basically, it's even more free form. They used to be because now pulling weeds will be rewarded or like collecting seashells will be rewarded like everything there's basically but two I parallel kind of like what was supposed to like kind of differentiate animal crossing is that like pulling the weeds were almost its own reward because you're like yeah because you chose to clear that space up you could also just not care and it won't really do anything bad. i mean you don't have to use nook miles it's, no no i know that's it's the thing, they're yeah. just saying if you want basically everything has a purpose if you want it to but i, I do actually you know what um and there's even i was gonna say there's even um little quality of life things like Autosaving is now a thing, which is crazy. It took so many games for autosaving. Like, there's whole articles about how Mr. Rossetti's out of a job because they have autosaving now. So, but, um. Wasn't I, he out of a job as of like two games ago? But technically, you still had to manually save. So, technically, I know, like, in the lore, they did stuff with him, but, like, he literally doesn't have a how purpose do you, anymore. I don't even remember how you save at this point. You choose to save. You, you just, hit save. You just press start and hit save, and that's it? Yeah. Isn't it? It definitely wasn't auto saving in real time. Every time you hop online, you'd be like, "Do you want to save your game?" You need to save your game first, and you have to do it. Uh, oh, I guess we're saving. Yeah, it does. It does. Look, I also like like how clean it looks. It's so, it looks nice. But I think I think the thing I like most about the showing of Animal Crossing is what Nintendo said when explaining the delay. So it's now coming out March twentieth, twenty nineteen, which is beyond the. I mean, twenty twenty, which is beyond the twenty nineteen they originally told us. Um, but they claim they're doing it to avoid crunch. Which, I don't know, that was Doug Bowser who said that in Tennis President. I don't know if he's just savvy enough to be like, oh, crunch is a hot topic in the industry. Let's make ourselves look better, or if they're serious. But um, Bowser was asked, it's hard to just say his last name. So yeah, uh, King Koopa was asked about crunch, and he was like, well, my Koopalings are going to... No, but um, he was asked about crunch, and he was saying that 
it's i mean i'm just gonna read part of it one of the key tenets is uh, for us one of the key tenets is that we like to bring smiles to people's faces and we talk about that all the time it's our vision or our mission i should say for us this applies to our own employees we need to make sure that our employees have good work-life balance and he goes on to say that the example of this is the animal crossing delay like it's important that there's balance in our world it's actually something we're proud of so basically animal crossing got delayed probably in part because it just wasn't ready but also nintendo is not going to you know, make a serene game and kill their developers in the process. They're going to actually respect the developers' lives, and that's partly why the game's delayed, which is kind of like a nice little noble thing given all the controversy right now going on in the industry about that and how other games, you know, we keep hearing these stories about crunch at various studios. So, yeah. so props to Nintendo for that. Um, I guess we'll just keep going down the list of surprises chronologically because next there was Smash Bros. And I'm beyond excited for Banjo and Smash. Like, obviously the nostalgia plays a big factor but i think it kind of goes beyond just the idea that banjo's finally home. i mean first of all what, what do you think of it and then i'll go into my whole rant i i am already thinking pretty cool i wish um people didn't spoil it spoil as much i guess but you know it is what it is i don't really care at this point I mean, they still, I still feel like it was a fake-out because they had... Like, I was still surprised because they had, like I was saying before, they did the Dragon Quest 1 at the start. And Sakurai said on Saturday at the tournament before the whole Direct, you know, we're going to have a character reveal on Tuesday. So that's kind of like, okay, that's done this out of the way. They're not going to do two... They're not going to bookend it with Smash. They did that last year. So I literally, once they showed Smash, I didn't even think Banjo right away. I'm just like, hold up, what? And then the, you know, the little jigsaw puzzle piece, the jiggy went by, and I'm like, wait a second, and then it ramped up. But, uh, yeah, I think it's cool that he's finally home. Like, let's be honest, Nintendo's is home, so that's cool. But I think, like, just the fact that it's so seemingly flawlessly executed, it's also, like, it really feels like he never left. I mean, like, his new design is more of a throwback to proportions of the N64 model than, like, the squared-off nuts and bolts. His moveset is ripped straight from the N64 game, almost frame for frame. Like, even his taunt is the bow from back in the day. His stage is Spiral Mountain. Grunty's in. The Jinjos are in. It looks like they're the final smash, maybe. You know, they got Grant Kirkhope to remix the music, which is kind of a big deal because he's actually, from my understanding, the first Western, basically non-Japanese composer to contribute to a Smash Bros. game. So, like, they really went all out to, like, make Banjo feel at home. And just the way they revealed him, like, that trailer, I was starting to go into it, but, like, the the you know recreating the King K rule appearance, but now flipping it so it's all three rare characters together welcoming Banjo Kazooie back into the fold. It's just like it's perfect, and like there, there's actually this kind of funny theory out there on Twitter. I don't know if I buy it, but this guy named Ethan uh, Moda Muda, he noticed he thinks that Sakurai actually built like a whole story, which Sakurai likes to do these sort of things. So maybe, but the idea is that um, basically back in the older Smashes when King K rule had a trophy. In the description, it was saying how he, DK, and Diddy could have been friends if things went differently. And it also makes a reference to, like, you know, he has this tiny little crown, so maybe it's like a power trip thing. And then cut to Joker's reveal trailer and Joker stealing what? King K. Rool's crown. Now cut to the Banjo-Kazooie reveal trailer and who's King K. Rool suddenly hanging out with? The friends that he could have had all along if he didn't let power get to his head that were teased in the trophy description. Is it a coincidence? Probably. Does it make kind of a funny story? Sure. Does it perhaps better than anything else show that like Sakurai's attention to detail is so good with everything he does including Banjo that like that's plausible that that is what happened I think that's really the takeaway from it but yeah it's I don't know I just thought I just thought they handled it so well like it was it was great like I'm sure some of it's nostalgia like I didn't feel the same way about the Dragon Quest guy but I know some people did yeah I mean I'm sure a lot of people didn't but those that did probably felt 
such great, great feelings. So many, Big all the feels, all the feels. Yeah, I mean, because the magnificent feelings. Like to be, <laughs> like, but to honestly be honest, like the the Dragon Quest hero is like I didn't personally care. I but like you said, yeah, people, you know, people felt magnificent feel. I'm sure people gushed over him the way I did Banjo. Like someone who's a Dragon Quest fan has got to appreciate that they have the costumes from four different games, you know, spanning many game, many years, and they have the slimes in there, and they have a stage, and you know all that. And, like, it is a huge deal that Dragon Quest is now in Smash, especially in Japan. I mean, Dragon Quest is, like, legendary over there, so much so that the character unveil, the trailer, generated 1.2 million views during E3 week in Japan. That is the single highest, most viewed character unveil trailer in Japan ever for Smash Bros. 1.2 million. Banjo is at, like, half a million. Like, it's a huge deal over there, so I get And I think, like... I think part of what it is about the DLC in general, like why I'm like, oh my god, Banjo, besides it just being Banjo, and also to some extent Hero, it really stems from what it signifies. Like Smash has reached this apex where it's like everything's collaborative. And what's cool is it's, it, it's able to do this because the industry, I feel like, has reached kind of an inflection point where there's at least a good chunk of the industry, maybe not everyone, Sony, but um, a good chunk of the industry has reevaluated rivalries and realized that's just kind of better to work together. I mean, like, remember Square Enix not supporting Nintendo for a decade? Now Smash has the biggest Final Fantasy character and a Dragon Quest character, four Dragon Quest characters. Or, you know, like, um, Square Enix even is going above beyond. Like, remember, do you remember how big of a deal it was that Square Enix is bringing Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles to GameCube? It's like, oh my god, they're making Final Fantasy on the Nintendo platform. This is nuts. At I mean, the time, I had no idea. But. Oh, it, you know, it was huge. And now it's like, oh yeah, they're pouring over Final Fantasy VIII, the whole Mana collection. They're making a new Trials of Mana remake. Like, their presentation at E3 was like all Nintendo or heavily Nintendo. So it's just, it's interesting seeing people coming together. And like, perhaps bigger than that, Microsoft. I mean, we've, it's been a slow build, you know, working on crossplay together, games like Cuphead coming to Switch, now Banjo, and and it's just like, that's just another facet of this. And even beyond, like, the Nintendo sphere, it's more common to see everyone just start doing stuff together. We had the three execs on stage at the Game Awards, Xbox has the Master Chief Collection now on Steam, Minecraft is on every platform, Nintendo IPs are on mobile. It's been this long, slow, industry-wide build towards this moment, I guess you could say, and I was listening to um, Giant Bomb's interview with Phil Spencer, Xbox's head, uh, the other night, and he made an interesting point that, like, his philosophy on the industry is gaming has reached this point where it just feels superfluous to limit how people can play or where they can play or in what capacity they play or, you know, like, as he put, if one person buys a green box and their friend buys a blue box, why are they both punished for for doing that by being forced to play in siloed off spaces like if you you know you have a ps4 with crash well if i wanted to buy crash on team racing i should clarify uh well if i want to buy it on switch theoretically tough cookies but that's the point it shouldn't be like it's it's a friction point that doesn't no, but that's exist. why i got the ps4 if i wouldn't have to play with the switch riffraff right but you're just conditioned to think that's how it should be you're you're <laughs> but but you're just conditioned but, like, I mean, fanboyism and tribalism always exist, but the idea is, like, gaming's so big now. He's making his point that, like, gaming's, like, no, no, triple yeah. the size I, I, it I, was. I wish that... Yeah. I wish I could just play people with the Switch because then, while I did want to get the PS4 version because, you know, like, Crash and I want those yeah. retro costumes because you can only get those on the PS4 one. Makes sense. Whatever. Right. The history um, the lineage. This is a game that I would... That I feel like, oh, man, my other friend would really love this one. Oh, wait, but he only has a Switch. 
Are you referring to me? Am I the other friend? Oh no. Oh. Um. Boo. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. So there's other friends. Yeah. That only has a switch. Now I'm even debating. Like, uh, I guess I could just get a second copy, but I'm gonna have to. But like, it turned out to be that way, friend. and it's cool that the industry's realizing that. Oh, like, yeah. I mean, he's right. Like, if you think about it, like. There's not really any other industry that does stuff like this. It's not like movie theaters only show one company's movies, with the exception of one or two that are company-owned. But the majority of movie theaters aren't like, oh, welcome to Cinemark. We are your paramount destination. Oh, you want to see uh, Toy Story 4? You have to, you have to take a five-mile drive that way. Like, that doesn't happen. Or, like, you know, it's not like... Yeah, but don't you what you get happening instead is more like... You get a movie that just kind of muscles in there. They're like, yeah, you're only showing this movie on all these screens, so this other movie is going to get a much more limited screening. Yeah, but that that is a problem, but it's I know, not that, one that, that's, that, kind of, that's, yeah. that, that's a different one. But That's just that's some... an annoying one. Disney is a powerhouse because they own like 40% of Hollywood. That's them doing that. But basically, I guess my point is like, you know, you don't have movie theaters that they pick the studio. You don't have Spotify being like, oh, this is the streaming service for RCA. Do you want Warner Records? Well, you have to sign up for a different service. Like, it just you know, like... All, every other industry, you've got the infrastructure and then the media on top of that. And one doesn't negate the other. And no, gaming Nintendo, didn't do what that. What the hell? Where's your music on iTunes or Spotify? I know, Final Fantasy Collection. Sega, Sega does it. And then Nintendo, well, they let, I guess Pokemon Company their own thing. So, yeah, they are. Yeah, but, so, so but They like, let their music go on up. But Square Enix made such a big point in their press conference. And they're like, we have every song jump on up every Superstar. streaming service. Was track- a minute and yeah, a half. Yeah, I know. What's tra- what's tracking at some point? It like, was. It was number forty-five. So what they do? They release. They release like a sampling of like yeah five songs or something. I think, and it's fine because in their financials a few years ago, like in the briefing, I mean, at it that must time cost it was them Kim- almost nothing, right, to release these things. It's literally free money. Yeah. And the thing is, like, I think it was Kimishima at the time, uh, the Nintendo president, was saying like someone asked him, "Hey, are you gonna put your music on like iTunes?" And he's like, "Yeah, we do want expand our IP." And, well, he's no longer president anymore. That's how long it's been since he said that. <laughs> but, yeah, so I don't know what they're doing. It's weird. But it is – I guess my point I was trying to get at with the uh, Xbox thing is, like, it's nice that instead of wasting time trying to, like, push down competitors, they're starting to understand it's better to, uh, like, you know, why not raise everyone up and then just raise yourself a little bit higher by making the best version of the thing that you can make. It's why, to me, that, you know, the, the rumors of Xbox Game Pass coming to Switch made so much sense all along because, like, yeah, why not? Why not bring it on Switch if you want like the pinnacle of the experience? You'll buy an Xbox, but you can at least try it on Switch. And to that point, actually, it makes too much sense for them. It's like, oh, you got these people that probably don't plan on getting an Xbox. Yeah, or but buying I'll pay consoles, for Xbox Game Pass. The service. Dude, like I was sitting there in the in the uh, Xbox press conference, it's and they were too talking sleazy. Like, geez, it, I wouldn't say it's sleazy. It's too clever. But no, I was sitting there in the Xbox press conference, and they're like, yeah, for ten bucks a month, you get hundreds of games. For five dollars more, you get hundreds of PC games too. And I'm like. This is insane. Like, this is such a good value. I would consider this, and I don't own a PC or an Xbox. So, I don't know. But it's, uh, it is it is why I really was a firm believer in those Game Pass on Switch rumors. And um, Phil Spencer actually talked about it at E3. He didn't outright confirm anything, but he didn't say no either. He just said, like, you know, it's going to take a lot of work to make it happen. But he didn't say they're not going to make it happen. And, you know, I think it's why something like Banjo is so exciting. Because even though... Um, even though it like seems like it's a big deal, like oh they got this one IP onto the other, like the way Phil Spencer described it in an interview with Kotaku, he's just like, yeah, we have licensing teams. Microsoft and Nintendo talk all the time because you know Minecraft is on Nintendo. Every time Nintendo re-releases old games like Donkey Kong Country, which uses Rare's code, they have to run it by Microsoft because Microsoft sort of owns a piece of that code now, and we just get along. So like there was no CEO to CEO conversation. We just said, hey Banjo, cool, let's do it, and that was it. So I'm paraphrasing him, obviously. I, I didn't say any of these things myself, but <laughs> I wish I did. But uh, yeah, so like it's just cool that that's happening. And I think on subconscious, some 
subconscious level, I think that's why these Smash DLC announcements at E3 were so huge. Because it's not just like, oh, there's my favorite character from when I was a kid. Yay, nostalgia, rah, rah, rah. Um, it's, there's this, this intrinsic understanding we all have as followers of the industry, regardless of, of what side you're on, that holy crap, they got the biggest competitor to give them one of their IPs. That's huge. Like that, that, oh my God, the company that ditched Nintendo is now giving it two of its biggest protagonists on Nintendo. You know, that's Square Enix in that case. Like they're giving them Dragon, uh, Dragon Quest through the hero. They're giving them Cloud Final Fantasy VII. Like that's why it's so big. Like it, it, you know, whatever happens with Zelda, whatever sequel gets announced, whatever happens with Animal Crossing, whatever, you know, we saw so far, like the hell froze over moment is when Banjo or something like that shows up in Smash. The others are cool. This is like, tectonic plate shifting in the industry big like it's it's that's why i think it was such a big deal that's why it was such a big deal to me and i suspect that's a lot of the reason that like it helped nintendo have the most talked about direct because like that you know stuff like that doesn't just happen so that's smash that's my thoughts on smash um i mean it's not to, I, sh- I should clarify it's not to say the other surprises weren't cool like they just weren't smash they no they just didn't have that sort of like bigger picture thing like it was just like oh yeah breath of the wild 2 which, speaking of which, let's talk about Breath of the Wild 2, because, like, that was kind of cool out of nowhere. I mean, there's a lot of little tantalizing tidbits in that 90 seconds of footage. What did you think of the whole thing? It's funny, a few days ago, or at least when I say a few days ago, I mean from that announcement. Yeah. Um, There was someone on Twitter that was kind of like, like, he's on me because they're kind of, like, fed up with, like, getting annoyed about rumors, getting annoyed of, like, People just like, like spoiling reveals and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and he was saying like, it's not. It might not be as popular, but I wish video games just kind of took the film approach, where pretty much as soon as anything's in development, it's just kind of announced that way, even though we don't see a trailer for like a year or two. Right. We just kind of know, and then separate that, the hype cycle from the announcement. Yeah, and and that and then that way, like nothing is really spoiled. You're just kind of like like, oh, that's cool. And then when the trailer comes out, like I feel like it didn't diminish my initial impressions of the Pokemon the Detective Pikachu movie trailer from right. hearing it was announced like oh they're making a movie that's kind of weird if anything it and, helped because it was such a pleasant surprise when everyone had their expectations low because they knew ooh video game movie yeah so when I saw that like Zelda was announced this way I was kind of like oh that's almost kind of similar like it just it wasn't yeah. a reveal trailer it was like this game is in development it's it was like, a bit of a reveal trailer no no it was <laughs> it was definitely more than just the same but like yeah. they literally just said like oh we're working on it they didn't yeah. even try to give us like like oh when it's coming out or blah 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 yeah it was just, no, that uh, was cool like i wouldn't even mind like i don't know not seeing it again until it was ready yeah yeah so that way it's like oh cool i don't have to hear the also oh, obvious like oh like oh rumor has that in terms of working on a zelda game it's like of course they are or yeah or the more recent one that i've heard like a couple times not like in the last few weeks like, a couple months ago mm-hmm. people were spinning their wheels on different news sites like oh nintendo's working on a new mario game like a new 3d mario platformer and i'm like Ugh. like why is everyone spreading this like it's like exciting news or something like yeah it's exciting but it's not like groundbreaking or yeah because i think i think like did nintendo at one point say like oh we're done with mario and this is why it's shocking or something i think it you know what it is it's it's clickbait because you don't know what's going to be in that arc oh a new mario click oh all it says is there's a new mario like what the headline said that's boring like because you never know you could go in and be like it's going to be 3d world 2 you're like oh that's cool i didn't know that yeah but, but yeah I, I will say I don't want a new site to tell me that yeah you want Nintendo to tell you that with yeah. a trailer that's 90 seconds long and full of mystery and intrigue like Breath of the Wild 2 which isn't even called Breath of the Wild 2 by the way it's just called the sequel to Breath of the Wild <laughs> like there's no name or anything that's how that's where we're at and I, I think though to to me 
Like, I think that's a really good point, actually. I I would be in favor of them doing this. Like, I think showing a little footage like this is more of a step in the right direction than just doing a logo. Because the problem with a logo is nothing's there. It, you look at what happened in Metroid, like I was saying before. But at least with this, you're like, oh, this is a real thing. This is actually yeah, coming. Because then, then also at that point, at least by then, I feel like they're confident enough to go on with this project. Yeah. Like, the fact that we only just saw the logo with Metroid, honestly, kind of very felt kind of un-Nintendo because I can't really think it's of it's very un-Nintendo I can't think of a honestly I can't really think of any other time that they've ever they did it one other time after and it was Bayonetta 3 and even then like at E3 this year you know Platinum's there promoting Astro yeah, Chain it, and everyone's like where's Bayonetta 3 and like it's coming it's coming just no, yeah, tight. but it's even like, Bayonetta 3 had like I guess Bayonetta getting shot at and I guess it but that's all CG, two. no no yeah. I know I, yeah but yeah. that's oh still, but you mean it had art yeah, direction no, it, yeah. it, it had something like yeah. at that point they already have like some core idea and I mean obviously that trailer will make more sense when we play the game. Oh, totally. But, I mean, with Metroid, I mean, I feel like if, unless they were really confident in it, they would have shown anything. Not they even did. Before. It had a big four, and then the four was in space, and then they were like, canceled. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That should have been, if anything, that should have been a sign that that game was going to get canceled. The real sign should be that they are still looking for an art director. I know I mentioned that earlier, but that's like, to me, like, they announced it. They've been looking since November. They announced in March or February they're delaying it, and they still don't have him. Like, what's going on there? But we're not, that, Metroid Prime 4 is going to be a game that comes out at the tail end of the Switch, and it's cross-generational Switch 2, Breath of the Wild style, Twilight Princess style. That's my guess. But uh, I think, let's actually talk about Breath of the Wild too, because I think what's um, what's most intriguing to me I think is like there apparently Nintendo didn't mandate the sequel or anything. It was the developers. It was the director of Breath of the Wild. It was them who wanted to do this because they had so many ideas for DLC that they realized they needed to make a whole new game because it was too much for DLC. It was too many changes, too many big things. And that to me is possibly the most exciting thing about this. Like it wasn't like Nintendo, like we need a new Zelda. You know, you were saying they always make 3D Mario. So it's not Nintendo's like, okay guys, you know, it's been two years since Odyssey where we got to start working on a new 3D Mario. It was the Zelda team being like, hey, we have an idea for a new 3D Zelda. Let's do that. Like before Nintendo even came to them about it as a, you know, like the business side. So I thought that was kind of cool. And then, uh, you know, the way the trailer was cut, it implies we're in for some interesting gameplay something. Changes, shakeups, I don't even know what to call it. But that's the one thing about the Zelda series is like they rarely do direct sequels. And when they do, it's pretty significant what they change. You know, like we had the time limit in Majora's Mask. We had this whole idea of like navigating 2D and 3D space in A Link Between Worlds, which granted isn't quite as big as the time limits in Majora's Mask, but that is very different from anything they've done in Zelda before when they did A Link Between Worlds. And the the leading theory for Breath of the Wild 2, or what, the sequel Wait, to Breath of the Wild. you about Phantom Mario Glass and Spirit Tracks? What about him? Oh, I forgot about them. Well, their big... You know what their big change was? Not only was? are they a sequel, but they're a trilogy. You know what their big change was? Trains. Yep. No, actually, you could argue they were one of the first... Um, I mean, compared to Wind Waker, it was definitely a huge change, but... Yeah, yeah, no. Wind Waker to Phantom Hourglass, I would say the touch was the equivalent. And in Spirit... Well, see, that's the thing. Then you're on to game number three, so it gets kind of funky like does that pattern continue i would i would argue link and zelda are traveling together i was about to say i would argue it was the first co-op zelda which is what's interesting because breath of the wild 2 is being speculated that it too may be co-op potentially co-op like triforce heroes well no one really (laughs) knows because here's the thing like if you watch the trailer like zelda has a very expanded role in that trailer she's all over the place she's she has more screen time than link has and she has this like 
adventure or short hair and like she's carrying a torch like she's in the adventure she's not just like go link go do your thing and it, it kind of feels like in one way it kind of feels like the devs sort of took notice of everyone speculating back i think it was e3 2016 when they didn't reveal what link's gender was in breath of the wild and he had kind of the longer hair and there's all stuck like oh is link female oh that would be cool and i feel like like oh he's not here but we hear you like that's an interesting idea and now they're kind of leaning in on what if there is a female well, yeah, isn't protagonist that what, that's a link indirectly that's what led to Linkle, but it seems like now they're doing it correctly <laughs> opposed to Linkle, which I mean, it, the name is Linkle. If anything, it reminds me too much of Tingle more than Link. Like, just something about it. Tingle's daughter. I don't know. Maybe. He's such a big fan of Zelda that, I mean, Zelda Link that he, he made her dressed up like that. I don't know. I'm glad he's not my dad. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it, it would, you know, there's, um, so there's that that might explain why she's there and it also kind of conveniently coincides with Cadence of Hyrule which is where you can actually directly control Zelda by herself for the first time in the series so it's kind of like in the main well I guess Hyrule Warriors you can so one of the few times you can I should say but uh, yeah that then of course opens up a whole slew of other questions let's okay so Zelda's playable is it is it co-op is this like you know they've done co-op before we were just talking about Spirit Tracks obviously Triforce Heroes Four Swords but is this like what what type of what could that mean? Like is 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 it co op? Is she the only protagonist? Like is Link somehow kidnapped? Like they show some wispy thing grabbing Link's hand at one point. Is he being taken away? Like what would you even want to see? What sort of Zelda game would you want? Just solo Zelda, Link and Zelda, Link still, and Zelda just kind of fake out in the tease. Like I don't. It seems like there's a huge opening here for different ideas. Know. I'm kind of no pun intended game for anything because I mean. I like the Zelda series, but it's not really a series I'm always like, like oh my god, I can't wait for the next one. It's, right. it's just kind of like, when it comes, it's like, alright, that's cool, I'll get it. I mean, I like Breath of the Wild. I like that I could play it how I want. Yeah. Which, I mean, that was probably what made it one of my favorites, is that I could just go straight to the ending and just figure it out to make it happen. Mm-hmm. So, I'm kind of hoping this one still kind of does that, but just obviously give us a different objective, which I'm sure it will. Right. I mean the shot of the the landscape it's like oh I hope we don't have to go through that same world again but I mean it looks, that was a common concern I saw but, a couple but, of friends texted me that exact same concern but I guess it also looks like they're underground maybe we're going through the entire underground of that big Hyrule maybe like, like Dark Souls not to bring in Dark Souls but I mean that's like a dark gloomy this, game no this was my thinking too cause like let's say Let's say they do the co-op thing, right? Let's just run with that idea. And they can do underground without the co-op. I mean, let's say, do you mean co-op with, like, actual two people? Do you mean, like, CPU-controlled co-op? I like... think it would be actually two people. So that – I don't know exactly. That's the thing. Because, I mean, what they could do – Because, I mean, if it's, like, God of War and Last of Us, then that'd be awesome. Because it's, like, you have a second character that – But you also don't. That you yeah. indirectly control, that you don't really have to worry about health-wise, so they're not a pain to take care of. It's just pretty much just mechanically fun mm-hmm. to do it that way. But, I mean, if it's – person controlled I feel like that always makes it messier that's the reason people loved and hated like literally loved and hated Resident Evil 5 they right. loved it when they played it with someone right straight up hated it when you played it with someone well, that's not a computer with AI with AI yeah. well that's kind of the interesting thing is like let's say they do go the co-op route it would fit well with the underground in my opinion and more to the point like this would be in the same way that like Ocarina of Time took 2D normal Zelda and turned it 3D like this would be like the 2D co-op Zelda into 3D if they were to do it like you know, advancing the idea of a multi-person Zelda into this broader, bigger world. And then that's kind of where the underground idea fits in nicely. Because let, let's say, yeah, everyone had that same thought about the overall map. Like I like I was saying, I got multiple people that texted me that were, that were like, wait, 
Are they using the same map? I'm like, I know, I saw the same footage you did. I know I, I do a Nintendo podcast and I'm the Nintendo nerd, but guys, I don't know. But um, let's say it is underground. That'd be kind of cool. Like, if that's the case, that kind of works better for co-op because what they could do is you're exploring a bunch of caves, you're exploring a bunch of catacombs. Like, I don't think co-op would be fun if you're in the giant open-ended Breath of the Wild because you have to, first of all, walk together everywhere. Like, you can't, like, it loses some of the exploration because it's like, hey, I'm going to go over here. It's like, I guess I am too. And you have to kind of follow each other. But if they did something underground and they had, like, more, like, nooks and crannies and catacombs and caves, what they could theoretically do is take the structure of the overworld but then sort of throw all sorts of winding preset little linear paths throughout it. So you'd still be exploring, but you're kind of going down trails and paths and things where it's more like, you know, claustrophobic and confined. And that I think works better for co-op if it's with two actual people. And if it's completely over, like to your Resident Evil 5 example, that's a lot of corridors you're going through. I don't think there's a whole lot of like, you're in a giant field, you walk wherever you want as two people, right? Yeah, they gave it almost all corridors. Yeah, so like if they corridored Zelda but made it feel open world, like if it's just like like basically a huge maze underground, I think I guess that's kind of like Dark Souls in some ways. But I think like that would work if it was a full two player co op and would kind of mesh nicely with it. If it's like a Last of Us God of War thing where it's you and a buddy that doesn't uh, AI buddy that doesn't get injured and it's just kind of there, they could theoretically do more of a traditional open Breath of the Wild world just underground. But if they want to do actual like here's two Joy Cons two players have at it my, which keep keep I mean, in mind my, my, my gut says they're not going to do a multiplayer zelda yeah because that feels like like too many factors that they feel the average core zelda player would get annoyed with yeah because i mean the fact that like the first one emphasized play at your own pace like mm-hmm. you're already introducing an issue with that if you're playing with someone else well i think i think it's kind of to my point that the sequels always shake not up. to mention like i mean i guess it would have to be local or i guess unless you play online and i guess you have to play with, with that person the whole time you're like oh want to play today to convenient to continue the campaign because it's obviously a campaign yeah and it's like oh i can't say like well i guess i'm not playing then yeah i don't know there's a lot of variables obviously and like oh like, i got ahead a little like well then i guess i can't play with you until you get to this exact point yeah, I know. I'd imagine. I don't know how it will work. Well, exactly. Yeah. yeah, or it'd have to be an AI person otherwise, and then you're in the Resident Evil Five situation. Yeah, but but, but that one is um the thing about Resident Evil that one goes by chapter though. I well, and yeah. and that one at least which they could do is that you're not progressing the story simultaneously on your own copies. You just need a copy to play someone else's, but you're literally just playing their save file. So then when you're yeah. done with them, it's like, all right, want to beat mine now? Right. That's a little weird, yeah. I mean, I get it. But, yeah, I, I'm just thinking because, like, what I was saying I before. Could, like, I could imagine a multiplayer component being added separately. Like, yeah. maybe after you beat the main campaign or if you go to some other spot, there's, like, this whole area that's just the, co-op the or something. The only reason I feel like they could do this and get away with it is because every time they've done a direct the Nintendo sequel. And they're like, what are you going to do? Well, no, every time they do a direct sequel, like I was saying before, like, Majora's Mask, like, in a way, like, okay, I should back this up. But look at Majora's Mask. Compare Ocarina of Time to Majora's Mask. Basically the same they game. took a more open experience, and then they locked it down with a structured condition you wouldn't expect. In that case, a time limit and a loop. Like, could you imagine if you played Ocarina, and then Nintendo's like, now what if you did that, but you had a third of the stuff you had to do, but you had an eighth of the time to do it, and if you didn't do it, you're going to do it again and again and again and like people will be like what but they made it work or like your wind waker phantom hourglass example they're like hey so you like wind waker well what if like you draw where link goes and it's totally different and we'll like it too we promise like when they do a direct sequel it feels like for some reason they're comfortable completely shedding the thing that made the original and going in a totally weird direction that's the only reason i think there's any 
possibility yeah. that could be fully co-op. I mean, I guess with that logic, all we can expect is just the exact same game mechanics, I guess. Yeah, because, like, it's just, um, you know, like, the, the exact, like, literally the confines of time in Majora's Mask can become the confines of these weird catacomb maze paths I'm proposing, if it were even that. Like, it, it's, it's, it's crazy, but it's the type of crazy Nintendo has done before. And I don't know, I mean, I could be totally wrong. Maybe you're still linking that's that. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's just like a direct sequel, same gameplay. I mean, Go Nintendo actually posted a pretty interesting theory uh, based on concept art from Breath of the Wild that they showed at GDC in like the postmortem about that game, uh, the panel with the producer and director or whatever. Um, there was art there where Link's arm can actually transform into different items to use. And at in the trailer, there's a part where his arm starts glowing as if it looks like it might transform. So Rami Cowboy over at Go Nintendo, you know, he's speculating like maybe there's that new mechanic, which would be interesting. But it's kind of like how different is it to have his arm turn into an item versus just like equip an item onto his hand? <laughs> so I, mean, I don't know. It, it sounds like the next. It's more step cosmetic. From, right? Like whatever doesn't make sense for the Sheikah slate because that's pretty yeah. much what that did. It's yeah, like, exactly. So why it's just have like, all these different bombs and these different things where one thing can just do them all? Mm-hmm. So I yeah, I don't know, but maybe so the, his arm would just double as different attacking things. I don't know. Right. The the, the only reason that like I think Rami's uh, thought or Rami's theory has any real weight to it, besides the, the coincidence of that, is that same concept art that was shown, like that same panel. They showed art of uh, part of I think the castle ripping out of the ground and flowing in the sky, which we saw the start of in the trailer. So there's uh-huh. definitely parallels. So that was a that was a good catch by him. Like I I never would have thought of looking at that. But uh, basically, all I know, like I think all we really know at this point, is uh, now that Breath of the Wild established like a new setup for Zelda, like a new structure. Thing. I it it means Nintendo can play around within that structure and do more weird stuff. And I don't know what that means in terms of what will be. We only saw ninety seconds of footage. But it seems like they're going to be having fun with it. From those 90 seconds, like, it was darker. It was, you know, there's a lot going on there. And it, it gives me hope that it's going to be a really cool experience. So we'll see. We don't even know when it's coming out. But, um, yeah, it's kind of like the big surprises of Nintendo. So far, we've only been focusing on what we saw at E3. But that's only a small piece of the E3 story. Because there's the much bigger part of what we got to play at E3 and go hands-on with. And, uh... As we tend to do with shows like E3, I think the easiest way to run through this all is to break them up. So we're going to go first party, third party, and then indie games. And um, first party, I'd like to kick off at least with um, Luigi's Mansion 3. Because this it very, mel- very well may be my game of E3. And I say that only partially influenced by its crazy cool booth. Like we were talking before about how Nintendo does these elaborate theme park booths. Like seriously, the booth alone was worth standing in line for it was super cool it was very much in the vein of hyrule or of new donk city you know kind of taking the role of like a theme park like attraction um but it was just really cool like you walk in it's completely enclosed the lights are off they have black lights everywhere they have a fog machine they have all these props of like things you would see in the mansion or in this case the haunted hotel uh so there's like gargoyle statues and green slime oozing out of things presumably guiji slime um, and then they had like this animatronic light fixture that would spin and drop and when it drops like go- there'd be ghost projections going off they had holograms you could go pose with a ghost bellhop that like literally wasn't there until someone steps on a spot and then he appears using some sort of hologram tech they had like items so you know you'd be just playing the game and then like gold coins would be shooting out against a wall or something and what's cool about that talk about attention to detail um, there was one demo unit and one demo unit only where the coins quote unquote landed so you see him spewing out against a wall, and then if you're at that one demo unit, you see coins falling on the floor at the same time. 
Like no one really knows that except that one out of forty people at any given moment. Like that's that's cool. And they had like bats flying around. They had a magic mirror where there were ghosts on it. They had ghost projections everywhere. It was just is they had Luigi creeping around in a like a Luigi costume with a flashlight and that's what I was saying for that's what distracted me when Treehouse Live was filming that and he kind of cost me my boss fight I lost to the boss because he was like right there I'm blaming Luigi yes anyway point is the booth was super cool easily my favorite thing Nintendo did in terms of their booth this year and you, you unfortunately didn't get to try it because you were doing Smash at the time, right? You were at your I wouldn't say unfortunately. I willingly gave it up as soon as... But, like, well, let, let me tell you about as it. Soon as, it cool. as soon as Smash became an option, I couldn't drop that any faster. Well, wow. Okay, them fighting words. And but that dude, was after you had told me what was in it there. Was, I mean, it was... Never mind the boot. Like, the game was cool, too. It was, like, let me tell you about it. I mean, because once... You know, once I was able to get past the excitement of the booth and the distractions of Luigi, um, there's actually... You were ready to love whatever they threw your way. Yeah, I was just... I was like, give it to me, guys. No, there was actually a really great demo to be played. Like, it was really fun. You you were tasked with just going through a set of rooms, and then you got to have a boss fight with this ghost in, like, a coliseum, and he was, like, clad in armor and everything. But what, what I think the demo demonstrated really well is how Luigi's Mansion 3 is kind of this bridge between the first two games, and then adds a bunch of new interesting mechanics. So, atmosphere-wise... I would say it's definitely more Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon than it is Luigi's Mansion 1. Um, which, you know, it makes a certain amount of sense. It's from the same developers as Dark Moon, Next Level Games. It's developed shortly after Dark Moon. I think um, the plan was originally it was on Wii U. They started development right after they finished Metroid Prime Federation Force, and then they eventually transitioned it to Switch. Um, but what all this translates to is that it has a lot more, like, whimsy over just, like, dark, creepy corridors. You know, kind of like Darkman. Like, there's a lot of, like, weird, twisted banisters and, like, kind of cartoony, colorful things. It wasn't just, like, rooms that feel like normal rooms. They're rooms that have, like, this twisty things all over. And they played a bit more verticality in uh, Dark Moon. And in this one, too, there's, like, multi-story rooms and things where you have to take elevators. And, and you know, there's things like you now have the, the vacuum can both suck and blow. <clears throat> and uh, you had to, you know, there's like puzzles that involve moving, like spinning pinwheels that raise and lower elevators and stuff like that. That, you know, the original Luigi's Mansion, because it was more of a mansion, like an actual house, didn't have some of this, some of this fantastical stuff that it now has, which I'd, I'd say it's cool that they're doing this now. Like, I think when Dark Moon came out, it's kind of like, oh, this doesn't feel quite as spooky as um the original Luigi's Mansion but I'm kind of I've warmed up to it I think it might be a better fit for Luigi I mean which do you have a style preference of the two you've played both I mean because I've only played the two so far well yeah I mean of the Luigi's two. Mansion 1 I don't know I like the design of the of all the ghosts way more than well, they did well the good news there is they're gonna do that for three they're correcting that they heard the feedback that the ghosts weren't as creative it's like they're the, fixing you know it. the ghosts have felt even more in line with just like the Mario universe they just felt like they had more personality these just felt a lot more generic yeah no I mean dude even the boss fight was like there's some pretty good personality because basically you're fighting this like armored ghost who's riding a horse and you're in a costume and the costume is full of cutouts of other ghosts because he has no friends he's a, he's a ghost um, but he like wants a crowd so it's like this guy that's super like full of bravado and you see it in his animation but he like has the bravado for no one or no reason so like even like even that felt more inspired and stuff, stuff in Dark Moon. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah, but uh, and yeah, and like in HD, it all really pops. Like Luigi's super expressive. Um, it's actually kind of funny that you could see him like going from being like super scared and nervous, and then like he accomplishes something, he's super happy for a minute, and immediately goes back to being nervous and scared again. Um, but beyond just him, like even in the tiny E3 demo, which was only like ten fifteen minutes, 
the attention to detail in the level I got played is just really good. I mean, anything you interact with had a response of some sort. I got to demo it twice because I went and I went as you. And uh, one of the favorite things that happened is there's an Easter egg. I didn't even know about it until the booth attendant showed me in my second run through. But basically at one point, if you suck a rope up with your vacuum and pull open a, a door, water will be released. And if you're controlling Guiji at that specific moment in time, the water will actually melt him. And that's a very specific set of condi conditions you have to meet in a 15-minute demo that's kind of in the side of the level that's not actually relevant to the demo. But the fact that they included it, like, that's what I mean by there's good attention to detail. Like, I just thought that was really cool. And that does bring up all the new mechanics, too. So there are essentially three noteworthy mechanics. Um, at least I got to try in the demo. There's the new slam move. There's the inclusion of Guiji. And there's a new plunger gun. And honestly, like, I, I love them all. I think they're all great additions. The slam is certainly the most satisfying. Uh, so when you're sucking up a ghost, there's now a meter that fills up. And once it's full, if you hit A, you can whip the ghost around. You can slam them into the floor. You can slam into objects. You can use them as a weapon to slam into other ghosts. And what's cool about it is it does a much quicker 20 damage as you slam around if you sit there and just the normal trickle of sucking them up with the vacuum. So it makes things a little more, like, fast pace like it, it, it it's a cool gameplay with the rhythm because it becomes like shine sucks like shine the light suck them up slam them down like shine suck sucks slams shine sucks slam over and over and over it just it gets a good rhythm and i just realized how bad that sounded and i did not mean that as a euphemism whatsoever <laughs> but um yeah no it's, it's a fun system and then there's also of course good old guiji who uh he's now upgraded i mean he used to be like a multiplayer mode afterthought in uh you know, the 3DS part of Luigi's Mansion. Now it's like a fully integrated gameplay mechanic. And I, I'm kind of glad about that because, like, Luigi's a great pun that I feel like Nintendo didn't get to fully... Like, no one paid attention to it on 3DS, but now it's, like, front and center. Um, but anyway, you can switch between Luigi and Luigi at any time. You just click the right stick. And in the demo, Luigi initially was used for really simple stuff. Like, oh, there's spikes. Well, Luigi can walk through them, so you just switch and walk through. But by the end of the demo, like, you need to start going back and forth between them because you'd have Luigi take an action, and then as you switch, you'll hold that action, and that can influence what Luigi can then do. And then you go back to Luigi, and you kind of do this back and forth thing that adds an extra layer to the puzzles that I imagine as we go through the real game when it comes out is going to be really cool and interesting. And plus it means you basically have co-op anytime you want because you can just have one person control Luigi and one person control Luigi. Um, and then that brings us to the final new mechanic, which fittingly is kind of a mix of the other two. So it's got the puzzle-solving stuff of Luigi, it's got the fighting stuff of the slam move, and that is the new plunger gun. So basically, you can shoot a plunger with a rope attached to it at anything, and then suck that rope back up with the vacuum. So in the demo, you used it to do things like rip lids off sideways barrels, and that's how you found a key to get to a door. Or like during the boss fight, that armor-clad ghost, you first, in order to defeat him, you first have to hit him with a plunger, then you pull the armor off, then you suck him up. And it's just kind of, you know, it, it changes up the rhythm a bit. And um, it's... It was actually the ghost battle that really gave me the most hope for Luigi's Mansion 3. Like I was saying to you, you know, it felt more inspired. It was just really cool. Like, it... It sounds... Like, that was a good demonstration of Next Level Games kind of getting some of the criticism, and like they admitted to it in interviews and talking about it on Treehouse Live and stuff, that you know, people miss the unique ghosts. They miss the personality of Luigi's Mansion 1. They're not trying to bring that back. And they're also bringing back the um, more open floor plan. It's going to be more exploratory. So Dark Moon was very mission-focused, which I think at that the time... Sense. I mean, yeah. it was a handheld game. Yeah, like at the time, I think we both were like, hey, you're playing it on 3DS. You want bite-sized nuggets of the mansion. You don't want to have to be like, where was I again? I just got off the I bus. I mean, it was a fine game. It's not like... Yeah, no, I thought it was bad. a terrible game. It just... 
wasn't a it wasn't a full Luigi's Mansion. Yeah. It was like yeah, but now they're going back to the open floor plan. The the only thing is you go floor by floor in the hotel, and you get and you can unlock el- you collect elevator buttons to open new floors. But really, that's no different than when you unlock the second floor in the mansion. I would have loved it if they so. called the game Luigi's Mansion Two, just because the second one was it so different, or they yeah. could have called it Luigi's Mansion. I don't know why they're not Luigi's call- Mansion. Um, T O O. Luigi's Mansion Three, Dark Moon Two. I don't know why they didn't just call it Hotel Luigi. We have a Hotel Mario. It's a hotel with Luigi. Yeah. Like missed opportunity. Apparently, someone asked the developers, and they're like, "But it's still Luigi's Mansion, so no." But yeah, I think um, yeah, I think the big open floor plan's a plus. Like I'm I'm excited for that, and and then at the same time, you know, it it does have a bunch of Dark Moon's actual cool stuff. So the Scarescraper is back. It's gonna support up to eight people online with voice chat. Um, which it has Polter Prop, it has Gooigi, like it all just feels like kind of the perfect mashup of the past two entries. And now all we need is a release date. All I'm saying is 2019. I feel like you know they have their October wide open. It'd be a great Halloween release. So I'm just saying, Nintendo, like it 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 markets itself if you do it for Halloween. But anyway, so that that's um Luigi's Mansion. The month before my dream Halloween release of it. There is, however, a different game coming out, which is my runner-up for Game of E3, and that is The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. Um, this, too, was a game that you somehow didn't demo. I, I know, because of the whole line thing. But but listen, I, I, I can reassure you on this one. If you, <laughs> I was saying this before, but if you've played a classic Zelda, if you've played Link's Awakening, you basically know what you're getting into. Like, since it's a remake, you can literally just go play Link's Awakening on your Game Boy and be like, oh, it's that, but prettier. And you kind of have a sense of it. I mean, there's some modernizations in there, to be fair. Like, you can now equip items with the extra face buttons. Um, it has analog control. Link still seems kind of locked to eight so directions. So you want to play hardcore mode, play it on a Game Boy. Correct. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and, and, like, Link does have limits of being move, of moving in eight directions, but that's still more than the directions in the Game Boy one. And actually, what's kind of interesting is even the enemies now can move in eight directions, too. It used to be in the Game Boy one, you could only go in straight lines, but now they can go any which way. Um, plus, you know, little quality of life improvements. Like, you can pin stuff on the map. So, yeah, it is kind of an easier one. But what's great about Link's Awakening is how it looks and how it feels. Like, I mean, I, I, I should be transparent here, actually. I was sold on the game as soon as the original teaser came out. Anyone that listened to that episode in March or February knows. I was like, oh, my God, this is great. And you're like, eh, it's whatever. And I'm like, no, this is great. And I was, like, super into it. Um, like, I pre-ordered the special uh, Dreamers edition that they announced while standing in line to try the game two people away from getting to play it i saw it go up and like i mean i'm buying this yeah and i just immediately pre-ordered it um yeah even with all that i was still kind of blown away by the visual effects in person i mean there's just something about having it in front of you on a big hd tv like the tilt shift effect with the edges of the screen blur the whole like classic-y sheen it has on all the characters and objects like it really does feel like you're playing a little toy diorama and it does such a good job of capturing that look and feel and and like nintendo went all in on embracing that because the um you know the idea is you're playing a little diorama so what better way to augment the demo units than on the demo stations themselves have physical miniature dioramas inspired by the game that look just like the game like the game looked like the dioramas the dioramas look like the game it was super cool um and it just feels good like it just feels right like I think it works in the game's favor that's a remake of such a classic Zelda because, you know, when you look at something like Breath of the Wild, we haven't had an old-school, quote-unquote, Zelda in a while now. Breath of the Wild is 2016. This is coming out 2019. Before that, it was Skyward Sword, which also isn't exactly a traditional Zelda. It's like the last, like, normal Zelda, if you will. I guess you could say Skyward Sword, but really it was, like, 
Twilight Princess or something. So it was kind of nice to. It almost feels like a return to forgotten form of the genre and of the game in a way. And um, the way they did the demo, you basically had 15 minutes to do whatever you wanted. It you know you can hang out in town, you go explore the woods, you could go get your sword, whatever. And it was sort of the same freedom that they gave in the Breath of the Wild demo back in 2016, except you know it's a smaller game, so it's about five minutes shorter. But um, it kind of served as a nice contrast of the different gameplay styles that Zelda now has. Because you you know, you know had the exact same demo premise to do what you want, but one was just like, oh, this is classic Zelda, and one was, this is something new. And it's, it was nice to have the... You know, like, this type of Zelda feels fresh in a way, so that's kind of nice. Um, one thing Nintendo wasn't demoing that I would love to try is the new dungeon creator. So basically, as you go through the game, you'll unlock individual rooms, or chambers, as Nintendo's calling them, and uh, they can then be strung together to create these custom dungeons. And uh, Dampe, the graveyard keeper in Ocarina, he kind of acts as the host of this whole thing and provides you with challenges to complete within the dungeons. Um, but the the sequence of events you go through in those dungeons is entirely up to you because you're stringing them together. You're unlocking chambers, c- uh, configuring the chambers, and kind of making these dungeons your own. And to me... Like, that sounds very much like a dry run for an eventual uh, Zelda maker, right? Like, first you need to see how you make the rooms go together. Once you figure out how to do that, you can go full Mario Maker and let you design each room, you know? Like, this feels like it's like prototyping or something for it. And I, I, I would be down for a Zelda maker. I Again, it's much like Mario Maker. I probably wouldn't build much myself, but I'd be down to have crazy dungeons, like nearly impossible dungeons and stuff to try. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't mind buying the first version of that mm-hmm. and then just seeing what other things people make. Yeah. I mean, it definitely lends itself really nicely, especially with this aesthetic, because it just makes it seem more like plaything. Yeah, so. more like a toy, more like a tool. And and to be fair, like even if I'm saying it's kind of like a prototype, like they're not skimping on the mode here in Link's Awakening. I mean, it gonna it has things like amiibo support. Um, any figurine will get you a new chamber, but there's this new and completely adorable Link's Awakening amiibo, which I also pre-ordered in line for the record. Um, and if you tap that you get to send in a shadow link into your custom dungeon and you have to kind of chase him around and defeat him and whatnot. If you defeat him, you get items and rupees and all sorts of stuff. So it's like a cool little secondary mode within the dungeons on top of Dampe's own challenges. So they're, they're putting some thought into this for sure. Um, but sp- speaking of f- physical things, um, so I mentioned I pre-ordered a Dreamers Edition, right? Mm-hmm. And that's cool because like 10 more bucks than the standard price, you get um, an art book. However... It was then announced in Europe that they're getting a much cooler limited edition. It's not only the art book and the game, but it comes with a steelbook case that looks like a Game Boy running the original game, which is just kind of neat. And it immediately makes our special edition feel ever so slightly lacking. And like I don't know what's going on with NOA lately, but they're kind of just dropping the ball on all this limited edition stuff. I mean, we aren't getting the free stylus with Mario Maker 2. You know, the Switch Online bundle for Mario Maker 2 in Europe comes with an actual stylus. Which almost feels mandatory for this kind of game. It does, especially because Mario Maker 2 will require touch if you play in handheld mode. You can't use buttons in handheld mode. Only on the TV. Yikes. Yep. But any, I'm sure they'll patch that. But they're patching everything in that game now. But, um, yeah, like, we're not getting that. And then during E3, Nintendo announced that Astral Chain is getting a collector's edition in Europe. Because it's a huge art book, soundtrack CD, and art print signed, like, with a note from the director of the game. And we're getting absolutely none of that. We're just getting the standard game. So what it's, more do we it, like, need? I don't know. I mean, personally, I know. No, personally, I probably wouldn't, and already don't. Now that I think about it, like I don't buy every single special edition. I don't know if I buy Astral Chains. I'm not that big of a Platinum Games fan, but like, what did our what did us what did we do as America 
Not spend enough money, I guess. To make them not want to do this. Yeah, I guess. It's just surprising. You'd think we would. Like, I... I Again, I don't mind. I'm starting to run out of space for freebies, like steelbooks and figurines and whatnot. But for those who want the option, it's kind of weird that Nintendo isn't providing them, you know? Like, do, do you even buy collector's editions anymore? I feel like I was for a while, and now I'm kind of easing up. So maybe I, maybe we're part of the problem. When's the last, what's the last collector's edition you bought? I mean, I only... I always buy collector's edition for certain games. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. And those certain games just haven't either had a release or haven't really had a collector's edition mm. of Note Late. Right. Like the last one I could think of is Smash for Wii U, but that's not even really collector's edition. They just called it a limited edition. Yeah. because it came with a controller and whatnot. You didn't get the Steelbook mm. of Ultimate? No, because of that one, I mean, that's just a steelbook. And the steelbook, if it was like a steelbook of the actual cover, that would have been cool. But because it was just it was black with the, the logo, logo, the fiery that's kind of logo. Lame. And I ended up going digital with that game, which... Oh, that's right. Which, yeah. Yeah. I don't know, the last collector's edition I think I got that I remember off the top of my head was the Monster Hunter 4. So I'm pretty sure I now understand Monster why Nintendo... This must be why Nintendo doesn't bring collector's editions to the U.S. anymore. Because there's people like me going, I don't have room. And there's people like you going, I don't even know what I last bought. So clearly the market's not there, <laughs> I guess is the takeaway. Yeah, I know my brother gets a ton of collector's editions, but there's like, but they're also collector's editions of games I would get if I was also getting those games. Yeah. I don't know. Nintendo just doesn't do that many. And when they do, they're mainly for like Zelda ones. Like Majora's Mask. Doing more. Majora's Mask had a cool one where you get a statue of Deku Kid. I yeah, did get that, I that, but I just gave it to a friend. Just... I have mine saying on a pile of other things. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, they just... There's a moment there where they're really doing it. Like Three Houses has, some, does Three Houses have something? I don't remember. Well, every other, if, if, if we had the ones that other countries got, we I would definitely be buying more. Let's just put it that yeah. way. So it, like, it, it's a very the, like the one from Metroid Two or Metroid Samus Returns, the one yeah. that we didn't get. We just got. Like, we just got the soundtrack. Yeah, so I it ended up not even getting it. Like I, I just, got the soundtrack. Like I just didn't even care, and it's still like every once in a while when I go to Best Buy, and I mean like last week, like I still see the game with the music, with the soundtrack and everything. So it's like. Wait, Hold on. You didn't buy the whole game because like the soundtrack isn't enough of an extra? No, like I was already unmotivated to get the game. Oh, so, but even, the so, so even the extras didn't yeah. even push me gotcha. to be like, oh, I should just get it just to have the collectibles. But if we got what Europe or whatever other country yeah. got for that game, like they got a ton. So so basically, to further whittle down Nintendo's decision, this seems to be very much a chicken and the egg problem. Like, is the problem no one's buying them because they're not good enough? Or are they not selling because no one wants them like how do you determine which it is nintendo well, just do what europe's doing and we'll, we'll tell nintendo you really did to begin with, when they did they always skimmed here because yeah. from my knowledge it always felt like other countries had it better they've definitely done more this generation than they have ever before you say as this literally happens right now but we're still getting something <laughs> that's better than that, that's literally what you no, don't want to say my, my point is but <laughs> at least we're getting I something. Know, no my point is we used to get nothing now we're getting something but it's not as good as something no, that's what it's. It's always been that case. We always, if we get something, it's always. Oh yeah, yeah not yeah. as good yeah. as something, which is lame. That's why, like, all we ever get to say is just, at least we got something. Yeah, if that, at least we got something. The Jason Reckman story, <laughs> but yeah, I, don't know. I mean, it's a weird move they're doing, but I guess we'll see. Maybe, maybe demand will increase. Actually, this is a lazy transition, but I'm doing it. Speaking of weird decisions, let's talk about our next game. Pokemon Sword and Shield. <laughs> so, this is the very first game I got online for at E3. 
And again, I'm now realizing you didn't play this one either. But this is the very first game I got. No reason to play it. Uh, well, that's why I learned because like I didn't get a warp pipe pass. They sold out for Sword and Shield, so I didn't know what to expect from the demo. But I imagined, you know, Nintendo's gonna be showing off the cool new thing, Wild Area. It's big, it's new, it's different. You know, it's kind of like they could do the Breath of the Wild thing again, where they just showed the Great Plain at E3, and then people went and ran amok. So imagine my surprise when after staying in line for an hour, after immediately going and not looking at the demo, just going straight into the line for a demo. Imagine my surprise when I get whisked into the very cool water gym set they had, which was very nice, and I end up de- demoing um, a standard Pokemon gym. Like, it wasn't anything special. Like, that's not to say it wasn't good. I just wasn't expecting it. Like Yeah, when I thought that you were just finding a gym, I, yeah. it made me even happier. Like, like, well, that's even less reason for me to want to get in. Because I, I don't want to I'm glad, I have to beat the gym leader again. Yeah, let like, me just you know. say I'm glad I did it during press hours when the line was shorter. Because <laughs> I was like, oh. But yeah, basically the demo had you go... You take turns picking an attack. Yeah, no, like Depending the demo... on the element, you do more damage to it, the other Pokemon. Literally. And then they send out another Pokemon. And then once you send defeated all three, then it's over. And don't forget the light puzzle solving elements as you walk through the gym that's a key part because in this one the demo was uh, you had to flip switches and that start and stop water flows and those water flows were the puzzle oh man just when yeah. you thought they were getting crazy with conveyor belts no. and teleporters and, and then you, you got you know, and then you, you faced off with a few of the lower level um, trainers and, and then before you know it you're at a new uh, fan art favorite Nissa, and you're fighting her um, but yeah you know it, it all looked and felt how you'd expect like the game looks very nice and crisp. The battles play out with like a very clean new UI. It has this handy thing. I think other Pokemon have done this, but you press Y and there's a little cheat sheet of what, what the move does, what's good against. You know, you can read your opponent yeah, Pokemon stats. That's a newer thing because I know yeah. after the first hit or after the first encounter with a Pokemon, after that it always tells you like, oh, this is the move that's super effective against. It. Yeah, but now it's just here at Y. Like it's not in your face in the way it was for Let's Go, where it's constantly there, but a tap a Y and it's there. And they did manage to sneak in a couple new Pokemon into the demo, including that electric Corgi Yamper, who – interesting thing about Yamper, he has a special skill where if you play like against wild Pokemon and you try and catch him and fail, he can retrieve your Pokeball. So oh, you so actually don't useless. lose a Pokeball. For you, he is. No, I know, yeah. For me, it's great. But you know, you know what's funny about Yamper is um, – so I was playing the demo because you know, I, I beeline straight to this. Nintendo was upstairs in the booth showing off Treehouse Live – like doing the demo on Treehouse Live – so I actually didn't know Yamper existed until I just happened to stumble across him in the demo. Like I was switching Pokemon in my party. You know, I was like, oh, do I have six Pokemon? Yeah, go ahead and check him out. And I opened it. I'm like, what is this little – what is this guy? And who's this other one? And the, the, the demo attendant's like, yeah, he just discovered some Pokemon. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. That must be what it's like to like discover a new Pokemon. Like I've never had that experience where you're just kind of – there like you know usually they're in the me- in media in some ways that that was kind of cool but really the demo the demo as a whole just kind of felt like a throwback to my original concern about sword and shield like it all felt too same and similar because what they showed was basically what you we've all played in every pokemon game like it didn't demonstrate any of the free range camera movement or the idea of pokemon wandering in the wild like the only new thing it had was the dynamax battle mechanic which i will admit it was pretty great in action like it doesn't drastically alter any real battle strategies in the demo i mean obviously not that i expect it to the demo is always like the easiest battles but it sure did look nice like it's a lot flashier than i expected the attack animations are more elaborate there's these very nice little particle effects so flying like around Z-move? what so like a yeah it's kind of like z move-esque um it had a lot of pizzazz it did take longer to perform any every move when it's dynamax because there's these huge build-ups of animations so i imagine if you um so it's like every if you don't like animations to yeah and if you don't like animations, 
you know, if you skip the animations, hopefully you can skip these too because it, it, it takes a while. But it did feel like more significant and had more oomph, like a Z move, like, a, you know, anything like that. But it just, it, I think it being in HD made it feel even more, like, elaborate. Um, so yeah, that was, that, that's what was shown. That was literally it. But, um, the thing is, the, the bigger impact on the Pokemon fan base than this demo was what Game Freak was saying during E3, plus what they're showing during E3. Namely, that they are leaving out a lot of stuff from Sword and Shield. Um, first, to kind of close the loop on our discussion last episode, uh, they did say that Z-Moves and Mega Evolutions are officially out. Like, they're not in the game whatsoever. Um, it's all about Dynamax now. But then on top of that, and bigger than that, arguably is the decision to not include every Pokemon in the game, not even in the post-game. Which, I feel like both of these are kind of a shot across your bow. Like, you play the game for the battles, you play the game for the competition and the strategy and all that, and they're kind of like, we're taking out like two-thirds of it. Like, how? what what's, What do you make of all this? I don't know, it's exciting. You like the reset? Yeah, I love it. Because, like, one thing... Like, yeah, it's great that you keep adding mechanics on and they could have just added Dynamax and be done with it. And, I'm, I mean, just ignoring, like, the sheer amount of work they have to do to get all these Pokemon potentially in there, like, yeah. it makes sense that, like, we would hit, like, a point where they wouldn't be able to add them all. Like, it's just not realistic. At this, Then maybe this is the period where it's just not realistic for them to add any more than these, maybe, like, two, three hundred mm-hmm. out of, like, the almost 900. So, I don't know. Honestly, I... I just see that as a good thing. Well, like, you, it, it, gives us, it, it, it gives us a way to, like, relive or, I guess, rediscover, like, the meta in a completely different way. Like, it's exciting to see, like, oh, what is the meta without, like, well, Tyranitar is already confirmed in the game. Although I would have loved to see, like, oh, what would it be like to just not have Tyranitar as an option? Like, how do people go around that? We have to discover these new Pokemon. And then eventually, like, it's a given that maybe in the next game or the two, three generations from now, we would have all 800 in. And even more by then, because they're just slowly—they're not going to not add these Pokemon in at some point. But not be this game. To play Devil's Advocate, because I agree that people are overreacting. Because I mean, it's—it's interesting. Yeah, like sure, like I love that I had this chat talk since like Diamond and Pearl, like literally that same chat talk from the DS game, transferred all over up until my Sun and Moon. Like he's still there, Salty Mike, (laughs) and Salty Joe. Yeah, there's two of them. But like, I mean, there's a good chance chat talk might not even be transferable to this game. Like. Yeah, Probably not. Yeah, that, that might bum me out a little bit, but eventually I'll be able to. Like, I feel like... Yeah. I, I feel... I'm confident that I'll be able to eventually, and for now, I don't mind just discovering well, a, let, new, let me, a new simplified meta. Let me devil's advocate this, because I agree that people it are... It puts over- everybody on the same playing field. Like, I haven't really been keeping up with Ultra Sun and Ultra Shield, Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon, yeah. And some of the crazy Ultra Boost mechanics those introduce, so it gives everyone a nice reset, so... I'm a devil's advocate this. Because, so, the, let me explain why. I, I agree that I think people are reacting. I think, before I devil's advocate, I think part of the problem is Game Freak doesn't owe anyone anything, but people feel like they're owed it. You know, like, Game Freak, to their credit, they're adding a lot of stuff outside of the area of battles. Like, you know, there's the wild area, there's max raids with online support, there's Dynamax, there's a bunch of Pokemon HD for first time, there's a bunch of new Pokemon, at least 71, according to Masuda. Like, there's Even a, lot... a lot of the old ones got new animations, exactly. which already... There's would make the Pokemon that they have to, I don't know, it, I feel like if anyone like thought about it for a while or at least rational about it, like they would see that it's well, I ridiculous think, yeah, I think to even. A, no, I think part of the problem um, yeah. is like, so in all these interviews, you know, Masuo's saying and Game Freak's saying that like, 
it's a lot like you were saying it's a lot of work 800 pokemon that's crazy and like they're doing this other stuff they have to balance all these pokemon there's they just don't have enough manpower and to your point that's you know it's their priorities it's their game as a developer they seem more interested in exploring the mechanics outside of battle it's kind of like a almost a let's go 2.0 in a way like they're just definitely more core pokemon but they're still like oh what can we do besides battles that's exciting to the core fans and they're kind of like some aspects of what some fans want in battle fall the wayside and from the game freak perspective from your perspective like i get it like they technically owe us nothing that's fine but you know i think part of the problem is and you sort of mentioned it when you're like oh i if i can't take my chat taught over that's kind of sad i think the problem is they sort of muddied their message a bit because like pokemon's always been focused on the idea of gotta catch them all and the games for years has supported this idea of being able to transfer your old pokemon be it, you know by linking games or through something like pokemon bank and then you know fast forward to two weeks before e3 this year and they're hyping up pokemon home which is this idea about having all your pokemon in one place you're able to connect pokemon go you're able to connect sword and shield it's all transferred they kept you know emphasizing it's all your pokemon in one place so to now be like jk you can't import all your pokemon into sword and shield did we say all we just meant the ones that are already there like i get the frustration that comes around that because it's a mixed message and the mixed message has like the worst possible outcome for fans who were hoping to get all that stuff but i don't think the reaction that people are having is fair really because like i mean like i was saying it's their game they do what they want they owe us nothing but I, I think people that are like dislike bombing it to the point of like 71,000 dislikes on a Treehouse Live segment about Pokemon versus 19,000 likes. Like there's a hashtag, you know, the bring back national decks hashtag. Like I think all that, I think there's this fervor around it that Game Freak's making this drastic mistake. And I think on, on some level, you're right. Like it'll be back eventually. But to play Devil's Advocate, what I was going to say before, is like, yeah, it'll be back eventually. But what are you doing in the meantime? Some Pokemon fans are like, yeah, I like buying every six. I, you know, I want sixty dollars down to do what I've done in past Pokemon, as theoretically promised by Pokemon Home, let me transfer my Pokemon over, quote unquote. And now I'm being told, okay, when I spend a hundred eighty dollars, three games, and buy all three games, then I can do it, or I have to wait three years to be able to do it. I could see why they'd be a little upset, but I think the reaction is not in proportion, you know. Yeah. I, I do think there's one competitive angle that I kind of understand. Not even Yokai watches bringing other Yokai back. I no know. Talking about no, that. Because I no know, one talks yeah. about Yokai. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. But uh, I think the only thing I do understand, even on the competitive scene, is people are like, hey, I have 800 Pokemon. And every year, you know, like you were making this point last episode, the first year of the tournaments, they do the new mechanic. Then they bring back the old mechanic. Then they bring back the old Pokemon. Like, it's it, you know, it's like a three step process with the game you own where they slowly ease in all the new stuff. It's kind of hard to do that when there's no stuff to ease in because it's all gone. So, like, in terms of variety, in terms of team building, uh, you know, in tournaments, correct me if I'm wrong, you're more in this world than I am, but I would imagine people feel like they lost a lot of, I wouldn't say depth, but they lost variety. Because, like, you're going to build a team for one year, and that team now applies to year two and year three because there's no mechanic changes because it's all just there day one. Right? Potentially. I mean, they really so the new Pokemon about, like, every year or two. Mm-hmm. Which is, but now I have to pay money to get the features back versus they were there to begin with. You just had to unlock them post game. I mean, maybe they shouldn't bring them back. Maybe they should just come up with hard something reset. else. Yeah, completely. yeah, maybe. Um, and yeah, I, mean, like I don't know. I, I, I still think it's an overreaction, but I think maybe you're right. Like, Game Freak's gonna eventually either go their own way, or maybe you know, now that I think about, it, maybe they'll 
added his DLC. You know Maybe what? they'll hear the. It's just reaction. a video game. Exactly, I agree. And like, and you know, it, it's nice that people care so much. They just need to be a little more polite about it. Because I mean, like, look at for example the fan pressure with Mario Maker Two. Like, people freaked out. And they're like, "This is dumb." But like, they weren't like review bombing. You know, like dislike bombing Mario Maker videos. They weren't like a, like attacking. You know, the people on Twitter. There's like Nintendo. Could you correct this? This is silly. You should correct this. And then, sure enough, Nintendo heard them. Like during Trios Live, the game's producer Takashi uh, Tezuka, he kind of awkwardly announced that they'll add online friend play because you know they heard the feedback. They're adding online friend friend play will be in an update after the game's released, which is great. It's it's honestly rather rare for Nintendo to do something like that. Like they usually don't listen. I mean, they do listen, but they usually don't respond. They're like, "This is how we're doing things." So maybe, maybe if people are a little nicer about it with Game Freak, maybe they'll add stuff in down the line. But as of right now, it's a hard no, and, like, that's fine. Game Freak doesn't owe you. It can be, you know, you can you can express your views without tearing apart the game. Because there's a lot to like in there. Like, even the demo. I was like, oh, it's, well, it, you know, it's normal Pokemon, blah, whatever. But it's well done. The animations are really nice. The HD looks really good. It feels like a next-gen Pokemon. Like, it, it's cool. And it sucks that like these people are pouring their time and energy into this game, and everyone's just like, "Yeah, but where's my Chansey or whatever? Or where's Mister Mine? Where's Tangela?" I don't know why I'm specifically in the 100 to like 150 range of the Pokemon Pokedex, but yeah, it's it's weird. It's funny because all those Pokemon, when you when you say their name, I, no, well, like when I hear those Pokemon names, I instantly think Jason. Besides Bidoof, but yeah, I should have said Bidoof. Well, you know why I didn't say Bidoof? Because I'm so confident Bidoof will be in this game. The if if Bidoof is not in Sword and Shield, all the uh, rage that people are have, you know, all the raging people are doing, that I'm saying cool it. I will be right there with them with the torch in my hand. If there's no Bidoof, that's my warning to you, Game Freak. No, I'm kidding, obviously, but um, yeah. So that's the Pokemon situation. Um, but on to the next game, I, I guess, because unless you have any other thoughts about Pokemon, not really. Just looking forward to like change. Yeah, no, change is good. Like. Well, and, this, and, 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 and we're kind of happy that change isn't even coming in the sense of like how battles work is just different Pokemon because honestly yeah. that is almost as big of a change as keeping all the po- uh, keeping all the mechanics in there right now yeah. it's just rediscovering the meta because literally we're starting from scratch yeah. like what do we have what other starters do we have like a lot of these Pokemon were literally like if it's not in your team you're going to suffer so it's right. going to be nice just to see a lot of Pokemon just out of the picture. It, it, it is funny that, like, last episode, I was like, oh, I feel like they're getting to the point where they're just going to start swapping mechanics around. You're like, nah. And then Game Freak's like, actually. <laughs> but it's just a coincidence that it ended up working that way because the trend was exactly what you said it would be, and then they just bucked the trend for no rhyme or reason. Well, I mean, the bubble so, burst. Exactly. I mean, but, it was a self-sustainable economy up until Sun and Moon, I guess. Theoretically, it's still sustainable. It's just they don't have the manpower well, to make it sustainable. Yeah, they're, like, they're, they could hire people well, to they, do they, it. They, they have to get true. that initial yeah. groundwork out of the way, and then they'll be exactly. back to a new exactly. next this is four or five black- generations before it'll be back it's to normal. It's the reboot like Black and White was. They just forgot to tell people up front. Yeah. That's that's really all it is. It's, again, the muddy messaging. That's all it was. But anyway, on to the next game. Um, This next one actually serves kind of as a nice transition from our first-party stuff. And impressions to third-party ones where you finally have games you have played but uh because because te- technically this is the last one that i think is just me uh technically marvel ultimate alliance 3 which i'm about to talk about is a first-party game nintendo's funding it nintendo's publishing it but it's also kind of not because it's team ninja and uh tecmo koei that are behind the wheel and it's a franchise that's actually from activision originally and is run by marvel games but nintendo's publishing it so it's kind of like second party i don't know 
But what whatever you want to call it, what I can tell you is that if you enjoyed the previous ones, you're in for a treat. Like, I mean, the demo of E3 was very simple. You basically just fought some waves of enemies and then a slightly bigger wave of enemies. There's no boss fight or anything. But what became immediately apparent to me is how like perfect this is for Switch. I mean, first of all, there's the fact that single screen co-op. Um, you can do combined attacks. The controls are intuitive. You can hop in and hop out. You can quite frequently change characters. They had 10 in the demo. The final has, uh, game will have over 30. Uh, and then there's more coming DLC packs. They announced at E3 you'll be able to buy a season pass that gets you, uh, I think, three different packs. It's like Marvel Knights, X-Men, Fantastic Four, or something like that. But uh, even the fact that, like, you know, all these characters, they're baked in day one. There's more coming later. All these characters, the fact that they're so recognizable makes this just, like, a really good co-op game because it, it's just that much more accessible. Like, if you bust this out at a party or a game night and you can jump in and it's really easy to get the hang of the controls and you're all on one screen and you're like, I'm Captain Marvel, I'm Groot, or whatever. Groot's not playable. Um, that's really wow. accessible in a way that, you know, some games aren't. So I think that's a huge plus for it. And And also, like, I know they're all in the same universe anyway, but I do think the way our broader pop culture has split up Marvel. You know, Deadpool's one thing, Avengers is one thing, X-Men's one thing, the Netflix shows with Defenders are their own thing. Like, having them come together in such a direct way in the game is going to be a huge draw to casual folk, in my opinion. Like, it's, you know, it's the it's and it's that familiarity that's going to really get this to be popular beyond just, like, the core gamer set. Because even in the demo, it was cool and probably very intentional how, like, you know, you're playing as most of the Avengers, and then there's Wolverine, and then you're going through a level that's the, it's heavily referencing the Defenders. You talk to Jessica Jones, Iron Fist pops up, and it's just like all these checkboxes they're hitting of like, oh, the Netflix shows, done. The mm-hmm. movies, done. X-Men, done. Like, it feels like it feels like it's like a crossover, even though it's not. And with this series being so, I guess, approachable, I want to say, yeah. to general audiences, I feel like it could definitely help out. Yeah, totally. And the gameplay is accessible. Like, that's what's nice about it. Like, attacks are just a few different button presses. You move as a pack. It's all that good stuff that makes the game accessible. But what's neat is, like, and I saw this in the demo, is there's enough neat there for folks who want to, like, actually dive deeper. You've got experience points, ability to level up. You unlock new skills for your characters as you go. There are multiple tiers of combo attack, which I believe is something new in this one that the other ones didn't have. But there are, like, these super flashy ones you can do where you all hit LNR together at once. And it just creates total chaos. And there's others that require like chaining together certain characters to do like the maximum effectiveness of those combo attacks. Like it's it's in some ways some of the specials and whatnot kind of remind me more of a Warriors game, like a Dynasty Warriors, Hyrule Warriors, Fire Emblem Warriors, than it does like a proper Marvel Ultimate Alliance game. Because like if I remember correctly, ultimate the old Ultimate Alliances had a single combo move you could do, but this has like two or three tiers of them. So there is stuff there if you want to dig a little deeper. Or you can just, like, hit punch and kick and be a cool hero you like, and it's still fun. And, like, presentation-wise, like, they're having fun with it. It um, it still very much looks and feels like Ultimate Alliance. Like, you still have the kind of awkward camera angle sometimes because it's trying to accommodate all four people on one screen. But, uh, and you know, you've got, like, the, the color-coded glows around each character to indicate who you are because you're very zoomed out. It gets a little chaotic. But they also, like, they're kind of more cinematic. There's one part that was actually really cool in the demo where the camera swings into a full 2D side-scroller and you're basically playing like a 90s Marvel beat-em-up and then the camera pans back into 3D. So I thought that was kind of a neat thing and like the cel-shaded look works really well for it. Like, like especially in comparison with... kind of remind me of Disney Infinity toys. It does have that sort of like big body, small leg situation for like a better term. But um, I, I think what's actually interesting is how it contrasts with Square Enix's big Avengers game they announced at E3. Because like that is way more graphically powerful 
but I don't know. Like, I kind of prefer the comic book cartoony look that Ultimate Alliance 3 has. Like, I feel like it fits it better in a way. And and honestly, that's one nice thing Ultimate Alliance 3 is going for. Is, um, and this is a point that Go Nintendo also made that I'm sort of stealing. They made this the other day. Uh, but the reaction to Square Enix's Avengers was kind of meh to negative, depending on who you talk to. Which is only helping Nintendo and Ultimate Alliance. Because, like... Ultimate Alliance basically got this huge signal boost by being the other Marvel team-up game, one that happens to, like, actually have a positive response. So anyone that's, you know, like, oh, Avengers is kind of blame, but wait a minute, what's this other bigger crossover? That's kind of cool. So it worked well for Nintendo, and, I mean, I was very pleasantly surprised by it. I demoed it three times. Twice at E3, once at one of the Best Buy Early Access events Nintendo did, which, by the way, those were really nice. Like, Nintendo needs to do small-scale ones like that. I just walked in and played, and then they gave me a bunch of swag. And then I left. Wow. It was great. I waited, like, no more than two minutes. They gave a keychain, and they gave, like, sunglasses and a lanyard and a pen and all this other stuff, and they were very friendly, and they were actually telling me things about the demo that even I didn't know at E3 when I played it. Like, there's layers to this thing, so... So, yeah, it's cool. I, I'm surprisingly into it more than I thought I would be. Like, it just looks and feels great. I so think you actually feel like you're going to jump the gun? I and... feel like I'm – I think I'm going to get jump the gun. I'm probably somehow getting it early. Uh, I think I'm going to get it if I can guarantee that people play it with because it's definitely a co-op thing. Like, I played – one of the times I did the demo, it was just me and the demo attendant, and it was okay. But the other times it was with, like, multiple people, and that's not really Yeah, shines. but that bond, though, I mean – That bond lasts forever. Like, super I, unbreakable after that. I know, and I couldn't even tell you their name. But – um. Yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm jazzed enough about that. Like we're gonna do a giveaway for it um, on our Twitter for some of that swag. I mentioned we got keychains. So like normally what we're trying to do at E3 uh, after E3 is like all the Nintendo swag, but Nintendo made it a bit difficult this year. Like you really had to stand in line for a long time just to get a flashlight or a Link's Awakening uh, keychain. So what we do have are two metal Ultimate Alliance Switch keychains. Ultimate Alliance are on the front, Switch logo on the back. They're really actually pretty high quality. Um, so stay tuned to the at Ram Nintendo Twitter. Sometime this week, we're going to tweet out how you can get them. It's probably going to be a retweet thing. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, but in the meantime, let's talk about the other half of Nintendo's E3 booth. Because I just ran through all the first-party stuff, which somehow you didn't play any of. But there's also all the third-party stuff, which you did play a bunch of, or some of. Um, I think surprisingly, like to me at least, I was kind of surprised that half of the booth was dedicated to mature games. Like, that's not even including the stuff we saw in the direct. You know, Alien well, Isolation wasn't and there. The, and Nintendo and video games are a big boy sport, so. Ah, uh, yeah, I know, I know. So much for Nintendo is kitty. But um, it, it's just it's just funny because, like, I was looking around, and, you know, I was thinking about the direct, and we got, like, Alien Isolation, right? And we got Witcher 3 Complete Edition, which, by the way, props to CD Projekt Red for actually putting effort into that thing. Like, besides it just looking surprisingly good, they're really they're springing the they're paying the extra money to fit it all on a 32 gig cartridge, which most third parties don't do. They're just like, no, you'll download the rest. It's fine. Even Ivan Bethesda doesn't. They're a huge Nintendo supporter, but they're doing it. And then the game, like, it comes with all the DLC. It comes with physical goodies. You'll get a world map. You'll get stickers. You'll get a com- uh, compendium book. I don't know what that entails, but still, like that that's cool. Well, they're really the compendium. I guess stuff. so. But like, they're really going all out. It's really nice to see and. And I've heard only good things about Witcher. I mean, you you started it recently, didn't you? I did start it recently. Yeah, that, How, that well, not cool. on Switch. We should clarify on PS4. But well, yeah, I mean, the Switch version isn't out yet. I love how they're calling it Switcher. That's like the name they've dubbed it. it but um, how yeah, is so, Witcher? Because I know nothing about. Yeah, the game. Like, I mean, like Jason, I've only heard I've only ever heard good things about it. How long it is, blah blah blah. But I hadn't really 
played too many games like that. And then, I don't know, like after playing The Last of Us, after going through, like, if anything, um, the closest game to it is probably in playstyle would probably be Breath of the Wild. Right. But from what I've also heard many from Elvis is that Breath of the Wild is like very like intro to that kind of gameplay. So like if oh, you play yeah. this game, like you might enjoy The Witcher. And I mean, I've played. So it's literally one of those you may also like recommendations on the bottom of a webpage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm maybe like an hour in. It's very visually pretty. Yeah, and that's what's crazy is it looks really good on Switch. Like, I was watching some comparison videos, and apparently the resolution's kind of low if you play on handheld especially, but, like, quick glance, it looks shockingly similar. Yeah, we just have to wait to see yeah. how it actually runs in person. Exactly. But, I don't know, I'm surprised they're, they're going to be able to fill it onto one day. So I don't know how big the game is, so maybe that's not even that big of a deal. Yeah. It's but, apparently filling a full 32 gig cartridge. Oh. Almost completely. I mean, and it doesn't include on the DLC, I mean... It makes for a really good value. I mean, hopefully, I mean, the main, I was at one point I think like, oh, I should just get on the Switch when it comes out for that ultimately. Yeah. yeah. But then as soon as they announced it, I realized, well, they're probably going to charge like $30 and up. That's what I'm looking up right now. Oh, they're for sure. It's, they threw in the freebies because it's probably like 40 bucks. I'm checking right now. Well, on PSN, and I'm assuming also Xbox, it was only 15 bucks with everything. Oh. So, yeah, it was kind of a no brainer right there. Like why would I pay any more than fifteen bucks? And um, I don't know the price. Maybe we don't know yet. Maybe it's a mystery. Ah, available pre order at select stores. I'm on this. Oh. You know, for all the things I've researched before an episode, how did I miss this one? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, in the here end. we go. Here we go. Oh. Everyone, wait with bated breath. <laughs> Guess fifteen bucks. Sixty. Oh, yikes! I mean. But then again, if, if you, you ne- if you've never played that game, like yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. But then again, that's also the price they're giving it. They offered it to me. Well, it's very much the situation of uh, Devil May Cry. So they announced the price for Devil May Cry on Switch. You I mean, get just least, the first game. At least this includes all the DLC, right? Exactly. So Devil May Cry on Switch will cost you thirty dollars for just the one game, or you could get Devil May Cry Trilogy for uh, twenty dollars on the other systems. So. Or no, I'm sorry. I think I got that backwards. I think it's 20 on Switch and 30 on others. Either way, you're paying more than you should in 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 the grand scheme of the fractions. So, yeah. But but my my broader point about um, Nintendo and the mature games. Yeah, if you have a PC and Steam, I've heard this game likes to be five dollars a lot oh, of times yeah, of the year. Oh yeah, because so. it's like two years old, so that makes sense. Yeah. But but no, the broader point about Nintendo and like Bob Witcher and Alien and all that is like like the mature games don't seem like a big deal until you stop and think about it. Because, you know, you like, I was walking around the booth and I was like, there's a lot of, like, this is very un-Nintendo. Like, I mean, it was it was noticeable enough that someone in the media asked Doug Bowser in an interview a question like, what happened to family-friendly Nintendo? Or like, where is family-friendly Nintendo? Where, like, a decade ago, that was the most unheard of question you could possibly think of. It was like, we're all the well, mature games. I hope and now Nintendo the other side. is the one at Comic-Con because last year they were very much... They were very much kid-friendly. Yeah, a little too kid-friendly. I suspect it won't be because they're probably going to call it the family lounge. Well, I don't know. It's hard to say. It depends on their marketing goals. Yeah, it just depends, yeah. But, but it, it, it will never not be weird. Like, it was strange to hear, not that I have anything against it, but it was strange to hear the F word uncensored coming out of a Nintendo demo kiosk at a Nintendo booth at E3. It was for Resident Evil 5 on Switch, so it makes total sense. But it was definitely like, when they said, I was like, huh, this isn't Kansas anymore, is it? <laughs> like, it was definitely, it was very strange. But speaking of which, um, they did have Resident Evil 5 there, and Dead by Daylight. We did both in co-op, 
it, they did a pretty good selection of the of the like games on in the booth of the mature games. Um, you've experienced these games on other systems. Like, what did you think of the Switch versions? I mean, we're talking about a PS3 game, so yeah. I mean, Resident Evil Five played just like Resident Evil Five, complete with the laggy moments. I might add, <laughs> like because yeah, I turned to you at one point. We're playing. I'm like, is it stuttering? You're like, yeah, the original did. <laughs> Yeah, the original did at like at some points too. Because I mean, you could get a lot of people on one screen at once, a lot of NPCs. Yeah. But I mean, whether it was that bad, I mean, I don't know. I haven't played this that game in years. Like, probably almost eight or nine, if I right. guess. But anyway, like, I don't know. It's just nice to see it on the Switch. It's such a co-op friendly console. Yeah, it was, and and Resident Evil Six is coming yeah. too. Yeah, I mean, both of them like really really fun games. Yeah. Maybe not the best, if even very far from the best Resident Evil games but very very fun games I mean you gotta be in the mood to punch a boulder in order to play these like these are these are the Fast and the Furious of Resident Evil literally yes very much so yeah yeah. we also gotta try um, Dead by Daylight which uh, you mostly have played Friday the 13th right which is kind of shares gameplay it's parallel yeah, yeah. And, and that one's also coming to Switch um, but Dead by Daylight that was interesting I thought it was definitely different it was I very kinda, slow and, and steady but tense I feel like I kind of enjoy Friday the 13th, 13th a little more I kind of wish it was on the Switch it is coming to Switch the yeah oh it is oh. I thought so no well, I don't think so am I losing my mind the only Friday the 13th game that I know of that's on Switch is that one puzzle game but I mean if it is I'm I on ha- it I haven't heard anything yet well continue with your I mean, I mean one I mean Friday the 13th is like I would I would argue I guess it it can be a lot slower but I like how moment to moment it's either a team based thing or a solo thing like you can either try to escape on your own from Jason or you can work together to try to defeat Jason or work together to it run is away from Jason in August to switch Friday thirteenth oh, what's funny, funny is when I said that I didn't know it was announced literally within a day of this recording happening I thought it was announced weeks ago but it was just announced yesterday so. Oh. Anyway, continue your thoughts. Oh, Sorry. Timely. Right? Time. Look at that breaking news yeah. we can provide unintentionally. This, this one is strictly co-op, which I don't know. I mean, it's really cool. I mean, I guess it'd definitely be a lot more fun if you're playing with four people. Maybe that's why Friday the 13 works or why I enjoyed it more like as a single player experience, even mm-hmm. though it's all online and you're playing with other people. Like I can cooperate or I can not cooperate with them, which is yeah. fine. This one, you definitely want to be communicating with everybody because I was only just talking to Jason, and and we were doing a bang we, up job of repairing generators. Yeah, we got like maybe two, but yeah, they'll take forever. To, to, to explain repair. the mechanic for those who don't know, um, you have to build all these generators, and that's what how you win, <laughs> essentially. Which is funny because like I hope there's other stuff. I mean, I haven't played yeah. it too much. This is literally all I've played of Dead by Daylight, but I know there's. I thought a, you played it before. No, um, I always have played it a lot. Oh, okay. Um, like there, I'm sure there are other ways to like win, and I want to say I know there is one, but like so far, all we were doing is just like getting generators, waiting for the guy to come and running away, then going back to the generators, and then getting caught by the guy who takes you to a giant fish hook, sticks you on, and you can wiggle around to try and free yourself, but ultimately you turn into like ash and die, and then they're like, "Thanks for playing," and kick you off the demo. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's saying. like I just hope there's something else besides yeah. generators. Yeah. But it, it, I think, like, it makes, again, to your point about, like, Resident Evil 5 and 6 makes sense on Switch. Like, this kind of does. Like, it's a co-op experience. Oh, yeah, definitely. Play together. Um, so that, that was sure it cool. will be a blast with yeah. four people. I also got to try a different mature game in the booth. Uh, also co-op, actually. Uh, I did co-op and with uh, a real person and with a computer, and that was Wolfenstein Youngblood. 
um and know it's just it's just as solid as bethesda's other switch offerings like the motion controls they're literally grafted over from doom and wolfenstein which makes sense and it's funny because because of that like even in the demo they had such a robust set of control settings right off the bat which is like oh yeah you guys have done this before this is you've been around the block a few times but um as the first of its kind for kind of like a co-op shooter from them it's pretty cool like apparently it doesn't have voice chat at least that's what the booth rep was saying but they do have emotes you can use so you can sort of send people like come this way or good job or whatever and the game does run surprisingly well and look pretty good on switch um there is kind of this weird interesting effect if you will where if there's a lot of enemies back to back in your scope it kind of blurs them or does like this kaleidoscope view which it's it's neat but it definitely is like adjusting for the limited power of the switch like it's very transparent i bet you it doesn't do that in the other versions but but yeah what's cool is like wolfenstein is out day and date with the other console versions as will be doom eternal when it comes out this fall and um, you know and for games that bethesda can't do that for you know they can't day and date uh elder scrolls blades because that's already out so what they're doing instead is they're introducing cross-play so if you choose to or cross-play saving i should say so if you choose to start elder scroll blades for free on your phone when the switch version ultimately comes out you can just pick up where you left off and you can alternate between them as freely as you want and i guess nintendo helps set that up for them which is pretty cool um i think if i were to get into it like i played the demo i enjoyed the demo it's um it's it's basically an old school dungeon crawler for those who haven't played like a first person one and you kind of you know you go like you walk and then when there's a battle it's like kind of turn-based but it's kind of real time and i think if i were to get into it it will be free to play on switch I would do it on Switch because like it felt good with the Joy Cons and there's motion control if you wanted and there's buttons and it's just better than just swiping with your finger. So that's my very brief time with uh, Elder Scrolls. But really, I feel like the the bigger point is like Bethesda's just killing it on Switch. I mean, they had they were the only company with two games in Nintendo's boot that wasn't Nintendo. Like they had Wolfenstein, they had Blades. You know, they have Doom coming out. They've had Castlevania or not Castlevania, the other Wolfenstein and the other Doom, um, Skyrim. Like they're they're up there. I feel like with this E3 a few publishers really solidified themselves like yes they're big nintendo supporters we were mentioning square enix before with their bajillion re-releases uh obviously like i said bethesda but oddly enough there was a third one in there which i would not have expected and that was netflix like they seemingly can't be bothered to bring a netflix streaming app to switch but whenever they decide to announce a game they always do it in a Nintendo presentation. And it's always Nintendo first, which is kind of interesting. Like, they, you know, they did it with Stranger Things 3, the game, and then the Nindy showcase in, like, March. And then it happened again with the very wordy, um, the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance tactics uh, in the Direct. And I was just kind of like, okay. Like, I, I don't know why they're doing it, but, like, at first, you know, at first it seems like just typical licensed games, whatever. But then I got to try Stranger Things uh, back at PAX East and I talked about it on the show then and I was kind of surprised at how well it like meshed with the show like they used you know they do a gameplay style and presentation that feels accurate to the show and makes sense with the show it kind of you know kind of goes in its own direction too but it still follows the core concept and then they did this again with Dark Crystal and even though I don't know much about the franchise I do know I like Final Fantasy Tactics and there's a lot of similarities between them and that kind of caught my eye so long story short Jason is not a fan of Dark Crystal. Long story short, I um, have bought oh, I Netflix. I am the new Reed Hastings. It is a pleasure to meet you all. No, long story short, uh, I went to this panel they did. Like, Netflix had at E3 Coliseum a panel. Because I just was like, what? like, where are these things coming from? What's their game plan? What's their strategy? And I was kind of surprised to hear that, like, Netflix is pretty serious about this stuff. It's kind of interesting, actually. Like, I... 
I first was surprised to learn that the folks who are working on the Dark Crystal um, are actually like really big strategy genre people. They, the chief designer worked on Civilization and Railroad Tycoon. Like a bunch of the developers came from the old Age of Empires team. Like this is a actual bunch of veteran strategy game makers making a strategy game. And what was interesting at the panel is that Netflix's uh, director of interactive games, he's basically the dude in charge of all their video game projects. Um, he was making the point that they're not just throwing licenses around. They're trying very hard not to do that. They want developers with pedigrees that actually kind of make sense for the games and for the properties that Netflix has. And they want to do right by fans to the point that like, apparently they redesigned, like this is one stat he was saying, they apparently redesigned 11 16 different times in the Stranger Things game. Now I'm just going to point out 11 is 16 bit in the Stranger Things game. I don't know how you can figure out how to redesign her 16 different times, but they kept tweaking and adjusting saying, no, 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 this isn't quite right. We need to do it right, which is like more than you need to do if you're just a crappy license game, you know? So, um, yeah, and then like, it, I, obviously I like to be fully transparent, there's some layer of PR fluff in any of these events. Like, oh yeah, we care about the gamers. Of course you guys say that to the gamers. But, you know, they also brought along, like, the writer from Stranger Things, a writer from Stranger Things, and, like, the head of digital for Henson, uh, the Jim Henson Company. And they were vouching for these properties and these games and talking about, like, how well they're being integrated into into the games. And I just kind of like, huh, there's maybe some credibility here. So, you know, they, they of course, announced some typical gimmicky stuff, too, like uh, Fortnite's getting a tie-in in, with Stranger Things. There'll be Stranger Things inside Fortnite. But the the amount of time they spent discussing like how important doing these full games were in the right way that will make gamers happy and make the fans happy, like they it suggested they get it or they at least understand how to properly message that they get, whether or not they get. But I'm I'm really curious to see what comes of Dark Crystal now. Cause they got the pedigree, they got the developers, or uh they got the property, I mean, they got Jim Henson signing off on it, his company. And then you got Bill Trennan at Nintendo just constantly tweeting about it during E3. Like, he tweeted about, like, more times than probably some of Nintendo's own games. And I'm like, what? what is it about this game? There's something special here, probably. So, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting that Netflix was, like, going all in on games now. And somehow Nintendo seems to be tied into it directly. So, just kind of interesting little aside. But it does um, sort of nicely bridge us into the other third-party stuff we saw at E3 like Nintendo's booth and beyond, because not everything was mature. I mean, Dark Crystal obviously isn't. Um, and there was stuff, you know, in the booth even, like like the Switch version of New Super Lucky's Tale, which was really kind of the odd man out in the booth, right? Like, you saw that too, I assume. It was like all these dark, gritty games, or grays and browns, and then there's like, color, burst of color, New Lucky, New Super uh, Lucky's Maybe Tale. Maybe they were banking on the, we look like the most like a Nintendo game. It, no, it feels like a Nintendo game. I mean, it was this big, colorful 3D platformer. I, its core hook is that, um, or its core mechanic, I should say, is that you can burrow underground, which kind of plays like you're swimming in land almost. And there's also like this little tail whack movie does. But it definitely, like to your point, it definitely, and quite proudly, was wearing its inspiration on its sleeve. I mean, they have the Mario style new right in the name, the level design reminiscent Mario 3D world right down to a similar interest in verticality. This is somehow the second time I've said the word ver- verticality this episode, so there's your word of the day. Um, no, but there like there's layers to collect in each stage, like Donkey Kong. Uh, there's red coin challenges, like in every 3D Mario game. You know, you get to the end of a level, you collect the item you need to collect, and in this case, it's a page. 
uh, of a book and it does that whole same camera spin around the character that you see with like Mario and Banjo when you click a star or a jiggy like it's very very much inspired by Rare and Nintendo in that whole era and is very proud to flaunt that but also just, it, it plays pretty well and I think what's interesting is it was originally it was originally a VR game uh, and the devs at this company Playful spent two years revamping it, adding new content, adjusting it into what's now a more traditional platformer, which is kind of like the opposite direction you'd normally expect. But it's well done. It seems like there's going to be an audience there for it on Switch. Like, it meshes well with the current lineup. And it was just, like, it was kind of a fun little lighthearted thing. Obviously, Nintendo has some confidence in it. They showed it in Treehouse Live. They had it in the booth. They made that, like, first cut. So, yeah, just something to maybe keep an eye on if you're looking for a platform but the the other not mature game in nintendo's booth was one we both played and that was one that uses mascots we all know not a little squirrel it uses mario and sonic and it was mario and sonic at the olympic games tokyo 2020 which to be honest you shouldn't have played it in nintendo's booth if you were at nintendo's booth you should have gone over to sega's booth and played it there because like first of all the booth was cool it was all themed around it so there's like you're standing in line on like a track like a like a you know track and field track they had a rock climbing tower you could actually rock climb on, and they gave you these cool shirts if you played. You got a lot of shirts, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's like the, the, the Sega logo, and it's surrounded by like uh, line art of all their consoles and like a little circle. That's it's, a fact. It's really nice. But yeah, this is this is a game we both played. So what, what did you think of Mario and Sonic at the Olympics 2020? Wait, sorry, let me get the full name. Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games Tokyo 2020. Not the Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games. Olympic Games Tokyo 2020 because grammar doesn't matter. I mean, as someone that's always looking for the next like mini game compilation party game. party game, like this one definitely has my attention, and it was really fun. Like the few like rounds I played with Stranger against, I did against uh, no uh, one. <laughs> even more so against like a bunch of people. Like this is a game that I could easily see like one other person and I just like getting really competitive over oh, it oh yeah totally so what what activities did you do because there were five to choose from um I don't know we tried to do as many as we could with it before the time limit I we did just squeeze them all in uh, if you need the list I mean we did archery surfing skateboarding fighting karate specifically fighting karate specifically fighting there's not an Olympic sport called fighting fighting <laughs> got um, the gold medal in street brawls fighting and jumping the hurdles. That's all of them. He got oh, all five. I guess he got yeah. All five. Yeah. Yeah. So did you do motion control or did you do? We did buttons only. Oh, see, I did motion. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so how how was? I guess buttons was good. Yeah, they worked exactly how you would expect. You press them and they do things. Probably the only way I'm gonna play. Unless it turns out motion is better. So the only one that I couldn't do motion on was karate because it literally doesn't support it, which makes sense because it's basically the karate mode was basically like a very light fighting game, like diet fighting game. Yeah, like, yeah like and, two and, moves. And, and even that I feel is like underselling it because there's a lot of like there's a lot of mind games that go in there. You got oh totally, it's like you, rapid you, fire chess. You, yeah, you you got your fake outs. You got um your very strong hit that will like burn through a bunch of the other opponents if they yeah. don't throw out one of their strong hits. If they're not approaching you, you can start charging up your super meters, and you have that. I don't know. It's but that's why I was kind of like it, diet fighting because there's not like combos or anything, but there's still the fighting game mindsets. Yeah, but they also yeah. aren't combos in karate. Like, it plays exactly how you would want it to be. Oh well, yeah, yeah. Oh man, if there were combos, that, <laughs> you could have you can in the middle gang of black belt. But uh, yeah, there there surprisingly is a lot to it for a simple karate game. The others are a little more straightforward. Um, I did motion for them, so like skateboarding and surfing, they both focus on the idea of you hold the controller flat and then twist it. 
So it's almost like you're holding a little skateboard or surfboard and you kind of twist it and um, you flick it up to do stunts. You flick it up while hitting R to do specials. Um, what's interesting is like it's basically the same thing, but skateboarding, which by the way, who knew? It's an Olympic sport starting in 2020. But skateboarding, um, you're just kind of cruising around the park and you just, when you get to the top of the ramp, you just do it and then you continue on. But surfing has the extra thing of requiring you to dip down first into the water to build up momentum as you come up the wave and then do the stunt. So you're instead of just like sort of, you know, rolling around and steering yourself with the, the controller and then, oh, there's the ramp, flick up. You're actually actively doing like a down up, down up, almost like you're bobbing through water or something. And I imagine it's a, like it was fine with motion. I imagine it's probably a little more responsive with buttons, but the motion felt good. And it is kind of interesting that like there's this through line where special move, you know, where, um, stunts are always if you're doing motion control a flick like it's not like every game has a totally different control scheme they tried to keep it consistent um and then every every game seems to have some variant of special moves like you're mentioning karai there's you know specials you can build up and stuff and then obviously you can do them in the stunts and yada yada um the 110 meter hurdle was not as bad of a motion experience as i expected i thought i'd have to do like a ridiculous like non-stop like just flail type of thing you know like the arcade version of Mario Soccer just looking like an idiot but there's actually like, multiple steps to it so you can first you charge up by kind of putting your hands out with the Joy-Cons uh, sideways and then you're running by just alternating your hands like you're doing the milking game in 1-2-Switch or, or actually milking a cow if you will and then what you do that's kind of interesting is to jump you punch you do an arms style like the fighting game arm style, like wrist twist. So it's kind of like this whole, like you're kind of milking the cow, then punching them, milking the cow, then punching. And it, it looks silly, but it, it was more elaborate. It's more engaging and elaborate than I expected where all I thought I'd be doing is just like rapidly moving my hands up and down. So that was kind of cool. I was kind of surprised. And then I think, I think the best motion, did you not even do motion for archery? No. Cause archery feels good. It's straight up exactly how it was on Wii. You have one joy con, you pull back cool. with the other, yeah, it, it felt it felt really good. Um, you do need to hold them sideways, which at first I was holding them straight, and it's kind of weird. But anyway, yeah. And then you factor in wind and distance and whatnot. Kind of like Monkey Target super, in Super Monkey Ball, actually. Yeah, so you just aim and then shoot, and yeah. that's it. But yeah, I thought I, I was pleasantly surprised by it. I think it's also kind of cool to see like, the Nintendoization of everything. You know, like, oh, the referee's a Lakitu. And then, of course, the Sonic stuff's in there. So like half the time in the karate, it's Lakitu. The other half the time, it's that B guy whose name I'm forgetting. Termi? Yeah, exactly. Um, but this also marks the first time that these characters have been given event-specific outfits, which for poor Sega has somehow led to more questions than answers. Like, this E3... It's kind of nice seeing Mario actually swim yeah. in normal time instead of, like, his whole jeans and stuff. Right? But then at the same time, like, what's up with Sonic wearing his shoes? For some reason, this E3 is the year that the press are like, we're going to ask dumb questions. So, like, multiple websites are like, hey... Hi, producer of uh, Luigi's Mansion, uh, Tanabe. Why is Luigi edible? And if so, what is his texture? The answer, if you're wondering, is he's like surprise a gummy. The answer is yes, and he's a gummy, basically. But the, but the reason I bring it up here is Polygon wrote a whole article about how Mario's feet we can see, but why can't we see Sonic? Was well, Sonic hiding in his shoes? It got to the point where Sega had an issue a statement saying Sonic shoes and him not taking it off, taking them off, are canon. That's just how it is. The fact that Sega actually had to be like, no, 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 like we just don't allow shoes to come off is like bizarre. Like five years ago, that would not be in game journalism, but here we are. Uh, my the question that no one's asking though that I'm really wondering about is so the karate mode, right? 
everyone's wearing karate robes except Bowser. Why does Bowser get to be naked and no one else gets that privilege? I don't know. I guess they see the turtle shell as. His but his stomach's armor? exposed. His his. It's if he had genitalia, they'd be right there in your no, face. No, it's armor. It's all armor. What? Are you? Wait, what? The front of his shell. His stomach. He's not wearing armor. Well, yeah, but I mean, you could see you could treat his whole shell as armor, the front and back. I guess. I guess it. Yeah. Eh. I don't like that excuse, but okay. I mean, it's not a satisfactory it. answer, but that's pretty much I it. I understand it. But it does seem like the more pressing issue is why is Bowser... Na- I mean, maybe Doug Bowser's just... Maybe that's a weird flex. I don't know. Maybe they didn't... Weird flex, I think the okay. easiest answer is if they just didn't want to bother designing a karate gi to fit Bowser properly. I mean, that's clearly the real answer, yeah. But I was just like, because they have, like, they w- funny little shoes and stuff. Because... But you, because no offense to cry. Because they would like, only uh-huh. have to, like... For the most part, almost all the outfits could literally just be like resized yeah. to fit everybody. They would have to like Except give, Bowser, yeah, yeah, Bowser would have to be custom fit for like every single spike on his back. Listen, with the power of the switch, you can do that. Well, apparently, Sega can't. Yeah. <laughs> but no, the game was fun. Well, I, I was pleasantly surprised by it. It was actually pretty cool. Um, actually, speaking of mascot star vehicles, uh, you got to check out vehicles starring mascots. I am proud of that transition with uh, Crash Team Racing. I did not play this, but you did. Yikes. How I'm really proud of that transition. Can I, can I just repeat it? I'm just going to repeat it. Speaking of mascot star vehicles, you got to check out vehicles starring mascots. Uh, I, I just, that's it. I'm done. The podcast is, I'm, it's over. It's all over. I'm not topping that. W-E-I-R-O ever. underscore O. And I'm JSR7. We'll see you next. No, but um, how is Crash Team Racing? Uh-huh. I mean, it's out now, but you played it at E3. Yeah, man, at home. Um, I mean, it's fun as I expected it would, it would be. It's fast. I mean, I don't know. The, well, what's the, me- what the, 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 the mechanic the, here? What makes it team racing? Because I've actually never played. Um, it. there is no team racing. It's all. But it's called it, crash. That's just what it's called. <laughs> so what's its hook? What's its thing? Um, How's it different? They're from playing like... as crash in a racing game. That's so, it. Yeah. That's Wait, much really? It. Yeah. There's no like. So so the game is um, what a lot of people love about it is that it's structured basically like DD Kong Racing. You have an overworld, you go level to level, you do challenges, fight bosses. Um, I don't know. It, it's just fun. It, it's not like other games where you just have to do the Grand Prix. Right. Um, but I mean, mechanically wise, um, it does do a lot of, it does a lot of subtle things differently from Mario Kart. See, there it is. So, I knew there were differences. Well, obviously. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like they both have drifting, they both have like time boosts like when you're drifting. Well, I guess that's a Mario Kart, but it's to me it feels like you're a little more similar to um Mario Kart DS where you're just kind of active the entire time. Like you're actively making sure you're always like staying at top speed. Right. Well where where staying at top speed I should say takes more work mm-hmm. than at least the current Mario Kart eight deluxe where you're just kind of going down the straight path. Your items don't really affect Winning you. backpacks at tournaments as you did. Yeah, like this one, Um, what I like is that to get your boost from drifts, as you're drifting, there is a meter that fills up pretty quickly um, on one of the corners of your screen. I think you can change where it is. And every time you press the opposite shoulder button that you weren't using to drift, ideally at the highest point that that meter reaches, you'll get a boost, and you could chain those up to three times. Mm-hmm. And once that's over, then you have to release your drift and then do it again. So in theory, you could go drifting the entire time and never get a boost if you're not using that mechanic. So, 
And you can also mistime it, so it might be going too fast for you, and you might never even get a boost, even if you're trying to get one. So that already takes like that's already like a little right. Yeah, that's already a little difficult. Right. And then besides that, you also have your your height meter. Essentially, the more airtime you get, the bigger the the bigger boost you get. So it's mm-hmm. not like Mario Kart where every time you do, I guess every time you put the shoulder button off of a any kind of slope or incline you do a little trick and then you get a boost right when you land in this game if you yeah i guess there's no auto trick you just have to try to jump right at the apex of the i guess of the hill and if you get enough air you'll get a boost if you get a bigger than someone else like their pose will change a little telling you that you got the bigger boost and then you get the boost Mm -hmm. so and also there's a lot of items that are hanging just off of like far away so that if you're just driving normally you wouldn't reach them but you have to jump right at the tip of these items just at these hills just to get those items so oh there's definitely a steeper learning curve to this game than i would say mario like on a difficulty rating it's definitely i guess it's like somewhere between mario and no i would say it's harder to control than sonic too because even the drifting it's not it doesn't react the way you would expect it to if you played a bunch of mario kart which uh-huh. i guess which happened to me, me. <laughs> yeah, like where as soon as you start drifting, they almost immediately start turning in that direction as opposed to kind of skidding further along in that direction and oh, then going. So you, at least in the beginning, if you're like me, like you'll run into a ton of walls, like a ton of corners because you'll think like, oh, the drift will carry me around the corner, but it doesn't. Right. Sometimes you have to, and that's mainly because when you're jumping, because you can short hop in this game, just like in Mario Kart, when you short hop, you have a lot more control in the air so that when you land, you could already be turning somewhere else immediately whereas normally you wouldn't be able to do that so you'd have to readjust and at least with their like fruit slash coin slash ring mechanic that all these games have um when you collect 10 wampa fruit which aren't just straight up scattered all over the map like sometimes they are but even then they're pretty scarce you have to collect these boxes sometimes you have to make the choice between getting an item or the wampa fruit right because when you have up to 10 you can only carry max of 10 Right. They do make you slightly faster, but they also upgrade every item you get afterwards. So you get like a normally there would be a, an item that when you run over it, it's like a beaker with the chemicals in it. It would make you slip just like a banana peel. But if you have the upgraded one, it'll make you slip and it'll create a little storm cloud on top of you that will make it so that you can't use your item immediately when oh, you get it. Because yeah. normally you could just tap the item button and just instantly get it and then right. use it. But this one makes forces you to wait. So you're kind of like stuck. Yeah, you're stuck. You're yeah, you're not a threat for a little while. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's really cool. So, it sounds like... And was this like that? I mean, obviously, you've been playing... It came out this weekend, so obviously, you've been playing it, too. But were you... um, Like, you and I, you're just like, oh, yeah, this is this is, this is the stuff right here. Yeah, this it's, is it. Yeah. It's what I expected. It's kind of a shame that it came out so close to Sonic, but... Right, yeah, it's like Sonic. Not to spread yeah. my time between right. both of those and the witcher i guess so. i mean it does make sense that you're having this problem because like cart racing games are totally your thing like i get it um so yeah i'm glad to hear you have another one you can add to the list it, it's funny because um i said this on the show before but like your thing with cart racers is very much my thing with like arcadey super arcadey racing games like i like cart racers too obviously mario kart but like you know stuff like ridge racer or rush or uh one game I actually weirdly was obsessed with on my DSi was Asphalt 4 Elite Racing. It's DSiWare release. At launch of DSiWare, it's like one well, of the first DS games you could ever download. And during E3, um, Gameloft gave me a chance to check out a build of their upcoming Switch version of Asphalt 9 Legends, 
which I think is the first time it's been on Nintendo since the DSi version. Actually, no, I take that back. There was a 3DS, Asphalt 3D. But besides, it, it was either way, it's been a long time since we've had Asphalt on Nintendo. And in the time since, it's won a bunch of awards as a smartphone game. Uh, most recently, it, it won an award from Apple at WWDC. And now, intriguingly, it's coming to Switch as a free-to-play game. And it's interesting how they're handling it. Because like for all the regular stuff you do in Asphalt on other platforms, it's following the same free-to-play model. So you unlock cards with in-game currency they can either earn or buy there's a whole energy system at play like basically if you played it on your phone you know what to expect here that means there's also online races and because uh it's free to play it sidesteps the requirement of a switch online account same way that Fortnite does which is kind of cool um and you can form like these online clubs to unlock things together and there's like something like 58 cars and 70 some odd tracks or something like that although when the game first launches it's going to be slightly behind full parity but then they play a catch it up pretty quick anyway the point is like they're taking the entire game they're bringing it to switch and then they're they're laying uh switch exclusive stuff on top of that and this is going to be the first asphalt game i think ever to offer split screen multiplayer for up to four people and here and here's where no but here's where it gets interesting because like Dude. No, no, no. Here's what gets interesting. Oh, that, that's already interesting. That circumvents the whole free-to-play energy system. So they're taking a whole free-to-play game, dropping it on Switch, and then be like, or if you just want to play the game for free with no ifs, ands, or buts, here you go. Here's a whole mode for that. So it's kind of like undercutting their own thing. But anyway, they're doing that. They're adding a Switch-only quick race mode that supports up to eight players. Um, and like every control scheme you can think of, like mirroring touch controls from the eight smartphone players game. on one screen? Or? No, I think it's eight players online or with wired systems. Uh-huh. At least online. I would have loved but... to see a TV split eight No, that'd be mayhem. But um, yeah, they've got touch controls, they've got motion controls, they've got button inputs. It's basically every wild play. Um, and the thing is, like, I realize, like, not every Nintendo fan's a big Asphalt fan, but I really love Asphalt 4, and I got to try the new split-screen mode with standard button controls, and yeah, it's pretty good. It was fast, it was smooth. Granted, it was just our two cars, and we were playing in handheld mode, but the sense of speed was definitely there. It ran well. Um, for a game that's so arcade-focused, like, it's kind of cool to see the detail in the cars. Like, it was, like, they're all fully licensed. Like, even though you're using them to do 360 tackles to bash into opponents or perform tricks when launching off jumps, like, they are fully licensed cars so you're doing it with like an actual like porsche or whatever and there's there's new mechanic you know those mechanics have been there for the last few games but since i last played they're new to me i think they've apparently been there since like seven or eight asshole seven or eight but they're they're fun additions they kind of help build up your uh, nitro faster which you're encouraged to really use as much as possible and that's something that was true and even the older ones i played um and it's also like it's kind of nice that going into races you have options to customize things like if you don't want slip streaming to be a thing you slip streaming doesn't have to be a thing it's up to you which usually arcade racers are just like this is what it is take it or leave it so i mean it, that's pretty much all there is like the full game's coming out this summer at some point um it's pretty fun i, I mean it's free like i don't know why you wouldn't try it but it's uh yeah i, I feel like i have a good chance of getting really into it in the same like inexplicable way i got really into asphalt 4 on dsi which like it's not a game people remember on dsi but for some reason really impacted me so i'm kind of curious about that um and yeah it, it was just kind of cool and i mean similar to my time with asphalt 9 you got to check out castle storm sequel with the fine folks at zen studios right the funny folks the fine folks is what i said maybe they're funny i don't know i wasn't part of your conversation <laughs> but how how is castle storm because the original was on what Wii U. Yeah, we. Yeah, and you. I think you. 
No, I owned it. I owned it. It was yeah. fun. Um, I was looking for a game comparable to StarCraft, but not like in the sense that like, oh, it has to be top down, has to be able to control an army. Just some kind of like real time strategy game that isn't turn based. You're just kind of going like sending little troops out and attacking stuff. And mm-hmm. Castle Storm was pretty much exactly that, just designed with like a console around it. Which is really great because like they obviously limited how many things you could do because I mean it's not like you'd have access to the keyboard, but I mean you have a you have a turret that you have full control over at all times and you're slowly building up your kitchen, your armory, you're sending troops out. The more people they destroy, the more coins you get, which lets you upgrade your other stuff, and eventually you want to overpower your opponent, who's usually on the opposite side of you, doing the exact same thing you are. To, so that you can destroy their front gate or capture their flag and take it back to your base uninterrupted. And during all of that, you can create crazy effects. You can summon dragons, throw lightning at certain spots, send out a hero that you can control in first person. And that was pretty much the game. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. But the second game, like, pretty much has all that and just much more. Instead of just making it that over and over again, they added a. Heroescape kind of overworld on top, which pretty much just means like a hexagon world that you look at it from top down. So every turn, when you're playing single player, they create a campaign where every turn you either choose to move a few spaces, take over a town, plunder for treasure, and as you advance, you clear out the fog of war, which means that you can see what other, what else there is to discover because everything is just a giant. There's just fog everywhere. Mm-hmm. At the same time, your enemies are also making their movements, so. You either want to claim villages early so you could make a home base, or you want to maybe just go out and kill those monsters. So, I don't know. It's a nice evolution of it. Yeah. A nicer way of easing you into it instead of just throwing you into, I guess, full-on battles with everything. Right, so, right. I don't know. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it sounds cool. Like, they also, Zen was nice enough to also give me a, a peek at a Star Wars pinball, which... Uh, Kind of has a unique claim to fame. It's the first Star Wars game on Switch. It's getting in just before Lego Star Wars Skywalker, uh, Skywalker Saga, which was announced at E3. Like, uh, Pinball will be out in September, Lego sometime after that. And, and you know, it's kind of funny. Like, with Asphalt 9, we had a genre that's typically not free to play on Switch, racing. And then it went free to play. And now with Star Wars Pinball, Zen is, Zen is changing their, like, usual pinball game strategy which is free to download and then you buy tables and instead they're giving you everything up front for 30 bucks which means 19 tables it spans every star wars movie up until the uh rise of skywalker because not out yet oh. and it includes spin-offs like solo and rogue one and tv stuff and deeper lore like it's a lot and like i mean as a pinball game it's what you expect like if you've ever played zen's pinball games on switch the fx3 game and its tables basically the same idea you got hpd rumble support it supports vertical orientation i actually got to try it using the flip grip have you ever tried the flip grip like where you hold it's basically joy cons you slot around a vertical switch it feels great like it's really cool and it's it's neat because like you just, it just feels like you have this this legit tiny pinball table on your switch and like the hd rump you know the feedback and every yeah it's cool so this um, game single-handedly convinced you to get a flip grip it came close like it the flip grip's cool and it fe- like I mean, this game it feels be like five bucks or something like twelve yeah. yeah and the thing is like the game support <laughs> it's more than double that it's more than double but obviously the game supports normal uh, horizontal switch play but it's landscape but it's just cool to have it all on one screen like that and it's also kind of cool they're doing some neat stuff with it beyond just pinball so like they're doing this thing it's kind of like a never ending uh, splat fest of sorts where you have everything you do affects whether 
you earn points for the light side or the dark side and you like pledge your allegiance and then there's these two massive leaderboards because the game's always connected to the web it has online uh support it has tournaments leaderboards all that so this is kind of a neat hook into that to get you to play to help your side in this giant tug of war and then separately they're also doing like a whole single player campaign that sends you to like various tables and has pinball themed mini games it's kind of it kind of reminds me it sounds we i can't see it but it sounds a lot like how metro prime pinball did it's like single player experience so long story short like if you like pinball this seems pretty cool like it feels good it feels like i mean fx3 felt good too so it makes sense but it, it's a solid pinball game and has the star wars thing overlaid on it and it's like 30 bucks 19 tables that seems well priced honestly so yeah something to keep an eye out if you need a star wars fix on switch it was kind of cool to check out it was like very like I don't know, Zen was being weirdly like hush hush about like, oh, we have the first Star Wars pinball game. You want to see it? And I'm like, yes. So, <laughs> like, so oh, it's pinball. <laughs> and then they gave me nice slip seats Zen Studios. They gave me nice uh, fuzzy slippers to Zen out with. So thanks, Zen. You guys are cool. But anyway, besides those, uh, you know, those moments with Game Loft and Zen, we also got to check out some cool indie games too, both at the annual E3 Indie Mix uh, event, which is offsite, and then on the show floor too in the IndieK booth. You played Lost Embers, if I'm not mistaken. I did play a game called Lost Ember. How was that? Because that's coming to Switch. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, it, it's a it's a very nice game. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I like, just know that one had some attention going into E3 or at E3. So. I, I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, it, it's a great game. Like, like, honestly, nothing really against it. Yeah. In particular, just like playing this game did kind of make me, I guess, forget about this other category of games that should go along with um rt2d platformer rt3d platformer i don't even know what I genre guess so. i guess that is yeah rt yeah rt3d platformer but i feel like platformer implies because rt2d platformers RT are polygonal adventure are, are, exploration game rt2d platformers Better. are usually like puzzle games like right. they're, they're in some way puzzle games yeah this is more like a rt cg experience interesting because well i mean Maybe there is more to it later on, but like from what I've gathered, like you're like traversing the field, like it, it's very nice environment. You play as a fox, and you encounter like this like floating orb, not quite the lost ember. I thought that was a lost ember, but there's it's more just to an it. ember. Well, it's not lost if you're right there with it. Well, it doesn't really. It has kind of amnesia, so mm. yeah, so it kind of is lost. Mm. And so a lot of time you're just like traversing the area, like you're either running, you're crawling, and you eventually like learn you have the ability to possess different animals so you could possess like a bird or you could possess like what I encountered like a wombat and I was able to like roll around um, not quite at the speed of sound but it was actually significantly slower but it was still they were all like very fun to control yeah I'm just letting that and, one slide by I'm not even gonna and, and the art style it. and the art style was also just like really pretty yeah, but, yeah um, it looked like I was watching you play for a minute before I ran off to do something else it looked cool visually yeah but at least I mean, I've only played, like, probably not even that much into the game. Right. Uh, but there weren't... I mean, I didn't... I noticed I didn't really have, like, an attack button. And maybe the fox is an attack. Maybe you have to take it... But, I mean, there isn't any kind of combat. And mm-hmm. so far, everything has just been kind of, like, absorbing the environment and get the dialogue from wherever the orb wants to talk to you. Or you go into these scenarios that are pretty cool where it shows you, like, I guess, glimpses at the past and what happened. And, I mean... That's fine or not, but I guess like I'm starting to now like I'm I feel I'm like burning out. I feel like this game um might have gotten lucky, but I feel like 
going further. I think I'm starting to get burned out on these right 3D CG experiences where there yeah. was like no real difficulty or any kind of. I want to. Th- I, I mean, I don't want to say there isn't gameplay because that feels like that's like. But a it's more unfair. it's more exploratory with less goal or it's not as goal oriented. Yeah, well, you're just being guided through a path because ah, like yeah. I'm also playing like a game called um I forgot what it's called like Etchin and it, it's a game that was um for free on the PlayStation Store. It's another indie game. And that one, like, was getting crazy reviews and blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, oh, I'll check it out. But the game could have easily just been, like, a book. Like, right. you were just, like, there's a lot of walking through pretty environments to this house. Oh, how do I get in? Just You're pretty much you're just following a path, walking, walking, yeah. walking, reading, interacting, walking, 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 reading, interacting. I mean, the way some of these games can be done, there's still a lot of creativity left to explore. Mm-hmm. Like, some of them... Like the fox one, like does kind of make you forget that you're just walking, walking because you tend to just play with the, with the way the animals move. Like and it's just fun just to see how the wombat walks around or other animations it has. But then when you get tired of that because you did that for a long time, right? Then what? You're, you're kind of just all right. Let's just continue on with the story, and that's pretty much it. I don't know. The, the walking simulators that was like a name for them a long time ago, but I feel like these are at least better than that. Yeah, they've evolved. Yeah. Like I think there's a game called Dear Esther that was popular like five six years ago. I don't remember. It was around the Brave time. I don't know if you mm-hmm, remember Brave. Mm-hmm. Like that one was literally like you just walk. Like you don't even interact right. with it. You're just like listening to someone like tell you like a story or something like that. But yeah. Well, if you want something artsy that has more gameplay, there was a game we saw on the show floor called Earth Night. That um. It's definitely all art because it was all hand-painted by one guy over seven years, which is insane. But what caught my eye about it is – so it's basically a rhythm platformer. But what caught my eye is the um, initial level selection tool, like selection screen. You don't just pick a level on a map. You are skydiving towards Earth as a character, and beneath you are all these dragons flying around. And as you steer the character to land on a dragon – the, the deeper you go closer to Earth, like the more you f- avoid dragons and fly down, the harder the levels get, which is like a crazy way to pick levels, but really cool. He's calling it, the developer's calling it like a living level select. It really does feel like it because you're like, you're playing a game just to get to the game, which in and of itself is kind of wild. But then the, the game itself is, it's a rhythm platformer. Um, basically, the premise is like the dragons have destroyed Earth. You now need to kill the dragons to get back to Earth to get resources or get resources just from killing the dragons, then take to your ship where all the remaining humans are. So it's like a rhythm platform where you're running on the back of dragons. Um, you you have these chunks of it that are he literally called them chunks, but you have these handcrafted like procedurally generated levels, all drawn by him as well or painted by him as well over these seven years. And these chunks are all arranged in different ways, so it's never the same level twice. But you're basically going so that's through what they and, did with Super Meat Boy Forever. Exactly. And you're basically going through and doing a rhythm platformer, but as it goes on you also get new items and power up. So it's kinda like a bit trip thing, but the bit trip thing was a little more like a traditional platformer too. It looks like Bit Trip and Robot Unicorn Attack had a bit. Yeah, kinda. Visually it does. Because the same kind of like running, dining some obstacles, jumping on a bunch of floating platforms was Yeah, Robot keep Unicorn. the momentum going. Yeah, which I mean don't get me wrong, like, I got addicted to Robot Unicorn yeah. back in the day. Well, can we just say back in the day? Yeah, that was, it's, it's, it's when we were in college. It's crazy. But, uh, yeah, and it's, it's so far not confirmed for – or it's not – there's no date set for Switch, but it is coming to Switch soonish. It's coming to PS4 and Steam first, I believe. But it's, still, it's kind of an interesting thing because it's like a few different ideas smushed together and then has like I, – I just can't get over the seven years yeah, of painting. Definitely come for the um, 
the living level select screen. Yeah, that, 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 that level select screen. That's cool. Like the main game's fun too, but like that level select is so unique. Like I mean, you know, Jason is like a a master wordsmith. I mean, when he described it to me, like it sounds like all right, that sounds neat. But then when I saw it, it felt like wow, you couldn't even do it justice, even though it's, it's exactly it's, even though it's exactly what you said, it still looks cooler than what you it's described. It's super cool. Yeah. So, so Earth Knight's one to keep on your radar for sure. Um, another one I think we're keeping on your radar is we both played this at Indie Mix, uh, Thunder Rally, yeah. which this is more of a traditional multiplayer Definitely Switch game. Perfect Everyone, for quick party games. Yeah. This is exactly what like I'm looking for in these kinds of party games. Like no more just a bunch of people running around. Like mm-hmm. just something different. There is people running around, but it's as a result of you jumping out of your your car because you're trying to throw each other in like in a yeah demo the, rally. the whole game is like a mashup of like those 90s monster truck top down games and Bomberman and like monkey fight from super monkey ball where it's not so much about like it, it you know you're just trying to stay on the platform like you're all flying around the physics yeah. you're kind of loose but you're trying and, yeah, to stay and, on and the, the platform the physics are crazy but yeah. but, they like, but yeah but if you but they're not that crazy that it feels like oh that one was just stolen from me it, it, it feels like, like oh, alright I should have just been a little more careful because yeah. any little mistake will Usually results in and there are life. items and stuff that drop, but the items don't exactly attack other people. They're more like they're buffing up your ramming abilities. So they just ram better or ram in different ways. Yeah. And if you do die, it goes full bar, man. You could throw bombs in from the edges. So it's really like a amalgamation of all these different ideas. And it's just it's just really fun. And it's, you know, uh, local multiplayer. It will have online. It's not coming out until they get online ready. Um, so we don't have a release date. It's Switch is planned, but we don't have a release date. We don't know the order of games coming out. But it's definitely one of those things. Like, there's not much to say about it, but like, it could be the next big party game. Like, it's really, really fun. So keep your eye out for that. Um, and then there's one game we played that isn't even confirmed for Switch yet, but just it just feels like it would make sense on Switch. So I'm hoping they bring it to Switch. It's, uh, it's I think it's probably the last game we'll talk about because this is a long episode. But it's uh, called Totally Reliable Delivery Service. And, like, how would you... I, I mean, the best way I can think of describing it is it's, like, Gang Beast... And Gang humans Beast fall, tried to be a co-op game. It's, like, Gang Beast I don't and Humans Fall Flat, kind of. The physics uh, of those... Are made by the same people? I don't think so. But it's it's those physics, like, that kind of ragdoll, ragtag, you try and grab things, but you can't, like, you're flailing like a fool. You're, like, one of those blow-up things at a car dealership. Um, but in an open world. So, yeah, for co-op. Because what you're trying to do... Um, right now, it's only planned for Steam, but hopefully Switch. But what you're trying to do is get packages from package mailboxes, I don't know what to call them, and then you take them to delivery points. And you're doing it all with wacky physics. Yeah. And you're doing it all... Significantly in, easier said than done. Yeah, and, like, it's it's open world. So, like, there's vehicles to find, there's, like, airplanes you can jump on and try and fly, there's rocket ships, there's, like, jetpacks. funny because you can get used to doing a lot of the harder stuff. Like, you can get used to flying the rockets and the planes. Yeah. Then that you can get good at it. But then... As soon as you try to keep a box safe while doing that other stuff, it just becomes almost impossible. Yeah, because the box has the same wacky physics, so it's going to slide but in a fun way. Try. Like I, f- I feel yeah. like this is one of those games that you would be like, all right, let's just see if we could be one level today. And, and it could take you it. hours. Yeah. We did not uh, deliver a single package, and we played for like 25 minutes. <laughs> but maybe it was like 15, but still. And, and it's kind of funny because like, the developers are fully embracing the randomness to the point that like when the package is... So basically, if your package is too beat up, you fail the package is destroying after you'll get a different one and there's no real like time limits or anything you're just doing what you want to do but the packages are always like i think it was teddy bears and what was the other thing there are two items they said he was saying the um rubik's cubes yeah it's rubik's cubes the the tiny build uh rep that we were chatting with was saying that they're playing to like a bunch of different items but yeah those are the two for now it's, it's definitely wacky and weird but i could see it being fun like let's see if i had a long night of 
switch gaming and maybe a few libations and this seems like a good way to like cap it all off when everyone's a little like loose and wacky and whatnot so so to cap it all off i think we're gonna stop there actually this was not our longest episode ever but very close to it um unless there's anything else you want to talk about did you see a game with like ramen or ramen what was it ramen i'm not even sure what it was called um i want to feel with ramen like i don't know i I don't know enough about the game to comfortably talk about it, but I mean, it looked very interesting. It looked like something that would be on the Switch. You're just these dudes walking around either attacking each other or throwing ramen, ramen at the environment. It looked like it, they were trying to cover the environment, but also like they were trying to control points. Interesting. It, it just looked really wild. That's like, what's fun about the indie games. It's definitely like we, a game to look at. That's what's fun. Yeah, because that's what's fun about the indie games is like there's so many weird ideas that, like, you know, you wouldn't be in Nintendo's booth and see ramen or thunder well maybe thunder ride but you wouldn't see something like the living screen the living level selective earth night necessarily but you go to these indie things and there's that there's like space channel 5 in vr we both danced with Ulala in vr that was kind of cool like there's always weird little things so that's what's great about three is you got the biggest of the biggest games and you got the smallest of the smallest games and all kind of live in harmony um so on that note that brings us to the end of the show um like, I wasn't kidding when I said this was a big one. It was not our longest episode ever, but it was definitely very, very close. And what's funny is that just as one convention ends, another one begins because Angel will be off at Anime Expo during the weekend of our next episode, which means that we'll be arriving a day late with that episode on uh, Monday, July. I forgot to check what date. It would be Monday, July. Something. Uh, ninth. Ninth? 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 <laughs> sound like the birds uh, from nine, no it would be the 8th I'm glad we wasted so many people's time to say that over and over but yeah we'll have our next episode on July 8th and along with whatever happens you know whatever gaming goodness comes out of Anime Expo there's actually a lot we're going to have in that show we're going to have impressions of Super Mario Maker 2 we're going to have impressions of Cancer High Rule I uh, courtesy of Genkai got a snazzy bluetooth audio adapter for a Switch to try out so expect impressions of that um, plus whatever news there is so to make sure you don't miss it be sure to subscribe to us on whatever podcasting app you use. You know, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn. We're everywhere. YouTube, our channel is RamNintendo.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RamNintendo, which I strongly encourage you to do because, remember, we are doing the E3 uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 keychain giveaway. We have two of them to give away. You're going to have to follow us to learn how and to enter, so you might as well get a jump start on that. If you want to follow us individually for our E3 cooldowns where we finally stop talking about just video games on our Twitters. Uh, I am JSR7. Angel is Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore O. I feel like, like, I kind of just talk for two more minutes and we could break a record here, but in the interest of our listeners' time, we're just going to stop a minute shy of the longest episode ever. I, th- I think our longest was 234, right? I don't know. I feel like we've gone through the Let, 240s. I, I have an idea. Let's speculate about it until we break the record. You can just start slowly fading me out. We could cue the music. The music can come in now. It's fine. I'm just going to keep talking. Sure we've never done three hours? We've never done three hours. Do you want to start? We have 27 minutes. We can no, make no, it no, happen. no, no. But I'm pretty sure we've done at least like 248. We've not come close to 248. I will figure it out when we're done recording. Or I could do it live and we could try and break the record. No, just fade me out. Fade it out. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Thank you for joining us for E3. It's been real. 